Hello, this is James from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is one of our themed episodes once again. It is the third installment of a four-part series where we are covering the 80s slasher film movement. So right now you're listening to episode 103, which covers 1984 and 1985. But on Horror Movie Podcast, you typically get to hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shockbecker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Jay. Come with me if you want to live. (laughs) Well, I guess I... (laughs) I better do that then. (laughs) So (laughs) speaking of living, you know, what's been keeping these episodes alive and more to the point, what's been keeping horror alive. This man, his reputation precedes him truly. And in fact, this man, (laughs) he has been seeing this through to the end. He has his own show to run everybody. He's got stuff to do. He's very in demand, but what does he do? He comes on to Horror Movie Podcast, helps us cover the 80s slashers. We welcome back the Southern Gentleman, the original Creepshire of the night. He is the host of Land of the Creeps. Welcome back, Greg Amortis. Ow, 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 ow! What's up, Wolfman Josh? Jay of the Dead, Doc. What's up, everybody? (laughs) I love doing that, man. I cannot say your name without doing it, man. I just can't. (laughs) He's good. Good to be on, Jay. Really, really excited, man, to get into '84 and '85, my brother. Yes. How was your uh, trip down to the Myers house? Myers house was excellent. Very pleased. Well over 500 people showed up, and it was just outstanding night. Uh, Kip Weeks, the masked killer from the strangers uh movie which is an amazing movie if you've never seen it one of the best home invasion movies in my opinion uh was there signing autographs and whatnot super nice dude man just a great time nice i tweeted this greg amortis but i did think of you on halloween night we were out trick-or-treating i live in probably the most conservative neighborhood in america there was this dude like schooling some kids on michael myers quizzing them about his mask and and where that mask came from and everything and and i was just so impressed he was like a, a kindred spirit we shared a little love for 80s horror right then and it was a good moment. I thought of you. Nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, it, we don't usually, and, and we still don't, in fact, but uh, we don't talk about politics on this show, but today is the day after the U.S. presidential election when uh, Donald Trump was elected president, and I only mention that just to uh, kind of um, timestamp this episode so people will know when this was recorded. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I did not win. I I, I demand a revote. I know. Yeah. I voted for you. It's so weird. <laughs> well, I voted for myself too, and it didn't work out. Dang. So you got two two votes for Greg Morgan right there. But okay, guys, let's move into this. Um, each week we've been kind of spending some time on a concept discussion pertaining to the eighty slashers. And um, we're, we're still going to continue on this. Wolfman Josh and I have been reading a little bit of Carol J. Clover's book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, which is about gender in the modern horror film. And uh, I've been enjoying, enjoying that quite a bit, Wolfman Josh. So we were going to talk with uh, Greg Amortis and Dr. Shock here about the chapter that's titled Her Body Himself. So yeah. where do you want to start that discussion, Josh? I mean, I think uh, it's interesting. So we, we talked about this briefly, but um, Carol J. Clover, as I was introduced to her, was someone who coined the term the final girl. And that's how that's the primary way I'd, I'd heard about her. And a lot of the um, like excerpts from her book that I had read were mostly just classifying the genre, kind of like we did in the first episode, just talking about the tropes mm-hmm. that you might find in a slasher film. And she lays those out uh, pretty well. There's a lot more here. And yeah, this is definitely more about gender. And there's a part of me that's like, well, I'm not sure I'm I'm qualified to even talk about this topic or her read her book. (laughs) It's very interesting. Um, We had one listener who was not thrilled with Clover. I think his name was, that was Scary Mind Sal. So it's not Sal Roma, but it's another Sal. Um, And he was saying that... um, he thought that her that she had kind of a fixed feminist agenda and that she was forcing uh, her those that interpretation on the texts. I, I wasn't sure about that as I read through um, her book. I felt as though um, I felt like she supports her arguments pretty well. And, you know, I don't expect it necessarily to be scientific when we're talking about a theoretical essay. I think, you know, we expect someone to just kind of have a thesis and and find supporting evidence and if you can find evidence to support your thesis, I'm usually pretty game for any interpretation of a text. And so I think she does that fairly well here. And she brings up some interesting things that I hadn't thought about. A lot of that having to do with um, kind of an androgynous uh, or kind of co-gender identity that we, that didn't maybe exist pre 1980 and how that crept in um, to the popular culture in the eighties and particularly in slasher films and how that maybe plays out as we, as the slasher film evolves. Now, some of the examples she gives are, are far before the eighties. She talks about peeping Tom. She talks about psycho. Um, but she talks about how these killers had a kind of, a oftentimes would see a male killer with, that was feminized. And so she gives Norman Bates as an example. She gives Buffalo bill as an example in silence of the lambs. And then we see a heroine, the final girl who is a female who is maleized. Boyish is the word she uses. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and and given male traits, you know, she quotes actually John Carpenter talking about, you know, him saying, you know, for me, uh, the people who have sex die wasn't necessarily the point. You know, if, if you see uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, she has the most pent up sexual frustration and she takes this phallic object and, you know, stabs, you know, our, our killer and she fights back, you know, and she, so this author explores <laughs> what it means to have a final girl 
and how um, having a masculine, masculinized female protagonist in a Ripley or uh, or in, in any really any slasher that you can point to um, is kind of combining what we would expect of a gender stereotype and how she thinks that um, that came to be based on the audience. Now, she doesn't actually go too deeply into that part. Yeah. So Wolfman Josh, real quick, if you don't mind, I want to cut in here. And, no, please uh, do. I'm just rambling. And I, I want to direct a question about this to uh, Greg Amortis because I, I tend to, when it comes to film theory, I tend to agree with our buddy Sal. What's this Sal's name? What's his? What are the modifiers on there? Scary Minds. Scary, scary Minds Sal. Okay, I like it's that because he's from ScaryMinds.com. This Sal. Oh, excellent. Okay, ScaryMinds.com. Check it out, everybody. So. Uh, Sal, I tend to agree with you a lot of times on film theory where it's like, <laughs> we're like, wow, they're really reaching to get that. And, and Kyle Bishop always argues with me and tells me, Jay, if it can, you know, death of the author and all that jazz, blah, blah, blah. If you can read it in there, if you could support it. I know, I know. I just think film theory can be a little bit annoying. But but Greg Amortis, in your opinion, is is a knife... Just a knife, or do you think a butcher knife represents a wiener? <laughs> uh, I would like to think it just represents a knife, but it, unfortunately, I mean, honestly, if you really get down to the nuts and bolts of movies and slashers especially, that I think you could give that argument. It sure probably does. Um, a hidden agenda somewhat, you know, much like, George A. Romero had all his socialism and different things in his movies. You know, I I can see the argument for that. Is it for me? I don't know. I don't really look at it that in depth, but I could certainly, oh God, (laughs) I'm sounding like a complete goofball. No, I love, uh, I'm with you what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see the undertow of it because of the whole, you know yeah. the whole feminism and and whatnot movement of the slasher. So yeah, I, I could certainly see it being being that way. Yes. So one, Jay, remember that was John Carpenter that said that, not the mm-hmm. author. Right. So, no, I I know. I'm just I'm kind of being I'm being a little bit flippant on purpose. But but uh, <laughs> Doctor Jacques, what about you for this question? Which is if if a viewer doesn't want to read any film theory into it, like let's say you have a a young 17-year-old man who's seeing a horror film. And maybe, yes, on like on a conscious level, he's not registering any of these themes. But do you think, Dr. Shock, that subconsciously that this is seeping into us and like these themes are actually coming across to us on a subconscious level? Ooh, um, I suppose it's possible. I mean... I don't. Th- I think that even if it wasn't intended at first, um, you, you know, if there wasn't the intention of the filmmaker, I think maybe it's it's become that. You know, with the, with the way that uh, uh, society changes and looks at these things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You know, that that's a good question. I don't know if it's something that uh, subconsciously. I don't know. I, I don't know that I can't. I'm trying to go back to think of when I was first watching these. <laughs> Uh, you know, back in the eighties. And I don't know that that was something I was even on a subconscious level. Uh-huh. I don't know if I was, I don't know if I was well, doing that even, even, you know, 
I think there's the uh, the argument that um, the art helps shape culture, right? As much yes. as culture shapes oh, art. So I think right. um, you look at these films and they meant something a lot uh, different than they do now. I think society has changed so much. You know, we were talking about this a little bit with Sleepaway Camp, how uh, now, you know, that's it, actually pretty toxically offensive, potentially, the ending of Sleepaway Camp to a transgender person, mm-hmm. um, that that's being used as the primary shock factor, you know, and um, and we right. see that actually with a lot of horror movies and slasher movies from this time, starting maybe with Psycho, uh, Dressed to Kill, um, is an example that she talks about in the book. Not something I didn't really talk about last time, but these are, uh, they're playing with kind of, and you know, uh, A Blade in the Dark is one that we talked about recently. Yes. There's a lot of that in slashers and this feminized male and the masculinized female. And, uh, and I don't know, it's really interesting. And I think, you know, as we look at these films, um, at the time Ripley came out, she was a feminist icon. And at this uh-huh. point in culture, Feminism has um, evolved to a point where now that's kind of looked down on that you would force a male form on a woman rather than just letting her be explicitly mm. female in order for her to be strong. <laughs> she has to be like a man. Great and point. So Good point. Things change yeah. time. And I think the way that uh, we maybe looked at these then is, is different than now. Like, you know, the book gives the example of Nancy in the book. Um, and actually, uh, there's another article that uh, Sal recommended at Cinema. Is it Merde? Cinema de Merde. As far as I know, that means poop. <laughs> but Cinema de Merde? Is that Cinema de Merde? Is that what it is? Yeah, That's the only other French word I know from three years ago. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, this article is written by C.D.M. Scott from 2006, and it's called Is the Final, final Girl an Excuse? And it talks about um, – and it, it it kind of challenges parts of Clover's book, but then also uh, backs up some of her findings. And it's essentially saying that the final girl's girl is an excuse for the audience's sadism. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the comments that Clover makes in the book is that it's interesting to see how the male, primarily male audience for a slasher shifts from rooting for the killer to rooting for the final girl. At the beginning of a slasher, we're excited to see all these kills at the end, we're excited to see this girl survive and fight back and, and win the day. And so the author asks, Clover asks, why is that? You know, and that's and, and really is just noting how, how that's interesting, how our uh, how that dynamic shifts uh, from a yeah. male audience and cross gender. When this uh, author of the uh, article at Cinema de Merde <laughs> brings up is this idea of the virgin whore dichotomy and how. Um, Part of, you know, one of those cultural things that we talked about uh, is and that this art in terms of the slasher film reinforces is this idea of a woman can either be a virgin or a whore. And there's not a lot of uh, in between there. And so if these women are are whores, we're OK with rooting for their death and their rape and their destruction. Um, <laughs> then we have this virgin who survives. And so that allows us as the male audience to say, well, not all women are whores. And if not all women are whores, <laughs> then we can I- enjoy watching this woman give the killer his comeuppance. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know. I think that's fa- that's kind of fascinating. I, and I, I, very interesting. I, I tend to um, agree somewhat with that theory because it, it's something I, quite honestly, I've thought about that before because it reminds me of Cecil B. DeMille, who... 
he he had this thing where back in the day he you know they were they were not really allowed to make these um epic movies or at least it was it would be very frowned upon to make a movie that depicts like lasciviousness and orgies and a bunch of uh, celebrating and stuff like that but what he ended up doing and he would make her a religious epic and he would have them celebrating wickedly quote unquote as long as they would be shown later getting their comeuppance, like where he would kind of atone for it and make yes. it okay and pay it off. And so, yeah, and he, he was he was a fast. He was very interesting in that he really got into some trouble with censors back in the day too. With right, uh, God, what was it? Sign of the Cross. There's a naked woman tied to a post, and this is a movie mm-hmm. from the early 1930s. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. then he did push that a lot. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so that just reminded me of. Um, as I've thought about him kind of over the years and what he was doing there, I, I've wondered if in horror films, okay, why is there almost always a final girl and not necessarily a final guy? And it's like, yeah, because we're trying to make it up to the make up for it that we were just, I guess, gawking. And mm-hmm. as you said, the sadism, not just the gawking, but the destroying and the disrespecting and all the things that they do to women in horror movies. Yeah, so if a woman wins in the end, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. And if the killer doesn't have their comeuppance, then the audience is at isn't at ease. And the author of this article at this wonderful website also <laughs> talks about Hitchcock's TV show as an example of um, Hitchcock would maybe leave you hanging at the end of his you know the little shorts on the show about uh, you know the evil that was done within a story, but then he would come on and come on and say. The woman later went to jail, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, and you didn't have to see that on the screen, but it allowed the audience to go, oh, OK, now we can feel good about all the killing and, and awful things that we saw, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny. Well, and you, you wonder how much of that was put on Hitchcock because he was not the type who would always care. He always. Yeah, yeah. He, he always right. wanted to, like, relieve the tension. He always wanted to end you know, suspense. We've talked about this before, you know, in, in a positive way for the audience. But that didn't always necess- necessitate a happy ending. And you wonder how many of those were just sort of forced on him by like, no, you can't just end it this way. You've got to do it differently. It's like, OK, fine. I'll just I'll just tell them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll just, he'll just say it to put it out there. Uh, another thing from this chapter that I liked, Josh, I mean, I like where you're going with that, but um, it like there were some elements or components of the slasher uh, trope that were kind of cool that I hadn't thought about. And one of them was the terrible place where mm. you, you had this place that seems safe at first to the prospective victim where it, maybe it's a house or something and they try to go there for refuge. And um, what is meant to keep the killer out ends up keeping the victim in. And so like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974 is a perfect example where, you know, uh, they go into the house to try to, (laughs) you know, it ends up being a lot worse for them there. And I I think the terrible place is like this this domain of evil where the victims find themselves in a a horror scenario. That was pretty Mm -hmm. cool, too. The the two movies I'm thinking of are probably the two worst 
examples for our horror audience, <laughs> but I think of Frighteners and I think of a Goonies right off the bat for some reason. Mm-hmm. But, th- but this happens all the time in horror movies where you think that the person you're watching is is getting to safety and then broom, they're actually in the heart of the belly of the beast. You know? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's re- it's the Fratellis. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's super cool. And the thing that gets you about that is that happens in real life. I mean, I'm just thinking about here with uh, what was it uh, in Philadelphia? We had Gary Heidnick who uh, who was keeping women, uh, you know, chained in his basement and whatnot. And I'm not saying that uh, necessarily going into his house they were thinking it was a safe haven, but mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something that can happen in real life. Wait, and, and I think that's, uh, that that goes back into the, the like the, the true terror of it. Yes, and in fact, Doctor Shock, you mentioned that like a in, and maybe one day if we end up doing more uh, true horror type tales, or maybe on our documentary episode, I saw in uh, People magazine just recently. It was within the last couple of months I purchased it for this purpose. I saw there was a a lady that was like hitchhiking, and she ended up like there was this just this nice looking young couple. They were just nice, and they offered to give her a ride and. They captured her and kept her locked up in a box under their bed. And she was in there for like six or seven years before she got out. And so like, yeah, like she went, you know, hitchhiking and and saw this couple thought they were nice. You know, it's like, well, it's a couple. I don't have to worry about couple, you know. (laughs) Right. You 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 wouldn't think so. It's the same thing that happened. What was that with? uh, I know they made a movie about Carla. Um uh, the 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 real life um, situation that happened up in Canada, where they were kidnapping. I think the first one um, it was this this couple, this young, very good looking couple who would capture uh, these girls. And the first one was actually Carla's younger sister, and she assisted in um, her husband's rape and then murder of each of these girls, including her own sister. Wow, yeah, it's the unthinkable stuff. Yes. Carol Clover writes about weapons as well in this chapter. And one thing I really liked uh, Wolfman Josh is how she talked about the monster is generally like pre-technological, like um, guns are used in a slasher film, but usually by not by the monster, at least. I mean, usually in a slasher film, the monster has some kind of sharp object or a uh, slicing object where they can penetrate and open the body. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's very unsettling as well. But I think that's cool how it's like a primal type of like these are yeah. medieval type uh, perspectives coming from the monster yeah. where it's pre-technological. Interesting. Right. Absolutely. I think so, too. And I, you know, I think when you uh, when you think about what is effective in terms of emotional impact in an audience, we're often thinking about what are the primal, you know, uh, things we can get at and obviously with horror especially with like a slasher you're dealing with sex and death which are two really big primal instincts but i think taking this a step further um i guess we've all known that and i'll talked about that that slashers don't necessarily have guns but when you think about it in those terms that it's uh kind of an, an archaic thing that does make it even a step scarier to me. <laughs> you're right because a gun would um that would diminish it somehow yeah, but you know, it, it would just make it a little. It'll make it a little too easy. It may, the the killer would not get close enough um, to the to the victim. There's something about the killer closing in on the victim like that. It's that the I think in, that, intimacy that adds of, to it. Yeah, yeah. The killers often get killed with a gun. 
the bad guys often get killed with the gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Or, 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 or you think, or you think yeah. they're yeah. killed with the gun. Exactly. <laughs> but it's interesting. You, I was just even thinking about the end of Scream, of course. <laughs> and the bad guys have a gun, but they use a knife anyway. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's up <with> that? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, um, I, I do have some controversial things to say this week on this episode that are going to... You, Jay, know. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of people off. And I do have one example to kind of buck this trend, which you guys may use against me later here shortly. But um, I, I will I will say, I will hold that for uh, shortly. But um, anything else on this before we start to move on? Because we, we usually open up with about a 20-minute discussion, and I wondered if you had anything else to say for this this episode because we're going to we got one more slasher episode coming up where we can talk more about theme and film theory and stuff and i've actually got a great comment from a listener chris that maybe we can address next time where he talks about the evolution of the slasher genre over the course of the 80s but um love it nice that sounds great well one in terms of this yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i i just i really like what clover's saying here and i like um the article that uh, Sal pointed out as well. But I think they are, um, I mean, I don't know. You talk about the penetration and the opening up of things. Uh, you know, Kyle always talks about a slash or kill as like kind of like a extended form of rape. Mm-hmm. You remember him talking mm-hmm. about that on the show before? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's you're forcing, you know, this kind of like a forced, um, intimacy. Entry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, and, and like uh, the book says, like Carol Clover says something to the effect. She talks about how the um, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the example that she cites. She said that um, in the van in the beginning, when you have the <laughs> what is it? Edwin Neal is his name, right? He he cuts open his um, palm of his hand and freaks everybody <laughs> yes. out. And it doesn't freak out Franklin yes. as much. But she she illustrates how, you know, for people like the outside of the body, is very commonplace. We're used to seeing the outside of the body, but when the body is opened up and you see things that are on the inside that are hidden, that are not supposed to be shown, they're taboo, that's when we start freaking out because that's when you start literally losing life when you lose blood, you know, stuff like that. The way she puts that is so freaky too um, in that line. She says, uh, Albert Franklin, who seems fascinated by the realization that all that lies between the visible, knowable outside of the body and its secret insides is one thin membrane protected only by a collective taboo against its violation. There's one other that thing that she freaky. mentions I just want to talk about. We've talked a lot about boobs during the course of this, uh, <laughs> these reviews. That was mainly Dr. Shock <laughs> talking about that. Well, <laughs> wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> what do you mean mostly me? You're thinking of his Twitter feed. Oh, yeah. Right, that's so- true. <laughs> hey. um no there's a lot of you know there's a lot of that obviously and uh clover actually points out something interesting and she brings up a film that i am horrified that i didn't bring up because blowout is one of my all-time favorite movies and i understand that it can probably be taken as a a thriller by a lot of people but you can argue it as a slasher and i think it's an interesting discussion if you do but certainly the film starts out and is um, encapsulated by a slasher what you have in that film is john travolta working as a sound engineer on a feature film and that feature film is called co-ed frenzy which is a slasher movie and interestingly enough the film i'm going to talk about tonight the initiation it looks like almost like some of those scenes from co-ed frenzy 
were uh, copied <laughs> during <laughs> initiation. But um, it's interesting because the director, right, of uh, Coed Frenzy says in Blowout, that's the film within the film, she says, or he says, uh, what you need is, quote, tits and a scream. And that's all that is required of the actresses auditioning for the role of the victim in this movie. But what's fascinating is that, um, and what Clover points out, is that it's worth noting that none of the auditioners have both of the desired amount, that the director must resort to using the use of doubles, one for the tits and one for the screams. <laughs> and so it's interesting to see, wow. again, like women kind of reduced to those elements within you know, the context of these movies. And, 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 and I would think De Palma would be almost like uh, some of his movies would almost be like, uh, in a way, honorary slashers. If not straight up slashers, then maybe honorary. Yeah. I mean, you look at like movies like Sisters, and mm-hmm. and like you and like you were saying, you know, with with Blowout and then Dressed to Kill, Body, uh, Double. Body Double. I mean, a lot of them are are. Uh, he goes back to Hitchcock. A lot of them, you know, he, he and one of his big influences is Hitchcock and Jallos, exactly. Which in our proto slashers we were talking about as as sort of the precursors of the eighty slashers, and I think De Palma sort of embraces that. Uh, so I think he, he, he's got to be at least mentioned in, in, in these sort of uh, uh, conversations, these sort yeah. of shows um, as, as um, you, you know, like I said, if, if not a straight up slasher, then that definitely uh, elements of it, um, especially in a movie like, like, like sisters, I think is mm-hmm. one of his most underrated um, early films, which I, I really like. And um yeah, I, I think that that he, he's 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 got to be he's got to be mentioned. I mean, I haven't uh, I haven't seen Sisters, but looking at Carrie and um, and Body Double and Just to Kill and yep. Blowout, it's interesting that uh, they he plays with that virginal idea, and certainly mm-hmm. in Blowout and Just to Kill, our our final girl is not the virgin character you know and right these, right they're, they're prostitutes so and porn stars and and things like that and um <laughs> and carrie's sexuality turns you know or her you know the the symbol for her repressed sexuality comes out in a very violent manner so right yeah. you know i i, I feel kind of silly i just realized uh, is blowout uh, some sort of uh, <laughs> sequel or at least an homage to blow up from yeah in a way because yeah they're very I mean, similar like as far as yeah. the premises because in, in right. blow up you've got right. something captured in, in like a, a photograph whereas but, in this you have something mm-hmm. captured in um audio, audio. recording yeah that's pretty cool that's better way better right oh, <laughs> oh, okay. i mean blow up's a classic but blowout is like in, i don't know it's one of my all-time favorites well blow up blow up was also a little bit um a lot artier. <laughs> uh, it's very, yeah, very arty. And uh, it's, it's, and uh, what is it? I think it was Michelangelo Antonioni who directed that one. And it's also, um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit harder to grasp, you know, harder to sort of get your mind mm-hmm. around. You got to watch that one several times before you start to mm-hmm. start to realize what's going on there. Um, and even then, you're not 100% sure if you realize what the hell's happening. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But with, with Blowout, you know, the Palm is sort of, uh, I guess, more a little procedural. More yeah, more straightforward. Excellent. Now, um, one last thing, guys, before we bust into 1984 here, if you don't mind, and I'll just address this briefly because I must. <laughs> like, I just wanted to say, and and maybe the listeners can let us know, 
if they want to hear this. And if you don't, if we get enough <laughs> people that say yes, then okay. If you're not into this, then fine, I'll let it go. But I, I've been watching Westworld, the HBO series, and yes, it's like science fiction, Western drama, mystery, all that stuff. I wouldn't classify it as horror. However, <laughs> at least thus far, however, guys, I have been kind of blown away by how many like um, thematically horror related instances there are in this that, that, that's about killing or about the taking of life, about wanting to be a monster or maybe even the mindset of a slasher killer. And I think it could be a really interesting analysis in terms of like a horror podcast perspective, even though the Westworld series is not technically horror. Have any of you guys been watching this? I don't have the HBO. No, I I don't have HBO either. I've not, but I, uh, I love the movie. I love the original Westworld movie. So I, I would not mind, you know, bringing that up at some point because I think that one, I don't know about the TV show, but I think the movie definitely has some um, some horror elements to it. Well, I just supposedly one of the fan theories is that the TV show is a sequel to the movie, so that's kind of exciting. Wow. <laughs> well, my so my uh, just two cent little plug here for people. I mean, this is masterpiece type television. It's on the level of The Wire, which I think is the greatest television show ever made. So everybody out there, you got to see Westworld. Um, I'm not saying it's horror per se, but man, the themes in it really relate to the stuff we're talking about tonight. Okay, guys. So this episode is sort of, at least the J of the Dead perspective of it, a lot of it is going to be brought to you by a blogger by the name of Captain Cracker. (laughs) So I don't know if you guys came across Captain Cracker, or maybe you're familiar with Captain Cracker, but um, this dude, well, maybe a dudette, but uh, named Captain Cracker has a blog that's really cool. Dave, in some ways, it reminds me of your blog, which is also yeah. inspiring, dvdinfatuation.com. But but this dude, it, it's like his blog. It, I'll link it in the show notes, of course, but it's captaincracker.blogspot.com. And what's really cool about it to me is the, the title of the blog is Slashers, Splatters, and Giallos. And then this, the subtitle is A Guide to the Psycho Genres. And this dude. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it sounds awesome. He does he does a nice job. And and I actually really appreciate this. I think it's a, a super cool blog. I'm going to link it in the show notes. I hope people will check it out. And I tell you, a lot of the research I did for this particular episode for 1984 and 85, a lot of it's coming from this blog. So I wanted to give him a shout out. I will be you know, linking it in the show notes, like I said, to make sure he gets credit where credit's due. But anyway, if you don't mind, I'd like to open the 84 decade here with uh, the little write-up that he does at the beginning of 1984. He says, uh, between the years of 1980 through 89, there were nearly 290 slasher films released, according to this, according mm-hmm. this writer. And he says, if you average those out, it equals two releases per month for the entire decade, which is extremely impressive. (laughs) (laughs) That's a reason why the 80s will always be famous for having slasher films galore. Looking back on the decade that now seems like a foreign time, these slasher films help capture a certain nostalgia that certain moviegoers, such as myself, crave. 
While slasher films definitely love a good villain, some scary stalking sequences and creative kills, they also undoubtedly yearn for the 1980s culture, from the big hair to the heavy metal music. And uh, both of those apply to Greg Amortis. No, I'm just kidding. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, long hair, yeah. Yeah, I was going <laughs> and, 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 So anyways, um, you, you, that's kind of the intro to his 1984, but it, it's very cool. So anyway, I feel like I've been talking a lot. So let's kick it over to Greg Amortis and have him launch into 1984. What do you want to talk about from 1984, Greg? Uh, well, very interesting. Um, some heavy hitters i would say in here for sure but this was definitely a year that i found lacking a little bit but with that said i went through the list that i have and i have i don't know 20 plus you know movies down but i wanted to kind of go a little bit more obscure somewhat you know first of all without throwing out the big heavy hitters right off the bat uh but a film i watched and a lot of these i actually took the extra little time and looked up a lot of these are on YouTube to watch. Go figure. Cool. Uh, but the one, the first one I was going to mention is actually, according to Amazon, has a November 15th DVD release of this year. <laughs> wow. Ooh. But it's a little film called Rocktober Blood. <laughs> yes. And you say Rocktober Blood. I had never heard of it. But lo and behold, I said, wait a minute, it's got rock, it's got October in the name, Rocktober, and it's got blood. Why not watch it? Uh, directed by Beverly <laughs> Sebastian, who I'd never heard of. Good grief. Why did we not hear about him, Wolfman? I mean, or her. She she directed such great films as this. How about 1974's Gator Bait? <laughs> oh, nice. Now you're I like Gator Bait. Holy yes. cow, she did Gator Bait. She did Gator Bait. How about the, the great sequel, Gator Bait 2, Cajun Justice? <laughs> that I haven't seen, but let me tell you, Gator Bait is actually a damn good movie. I like Gator Bait. Her and her husband directed that. That was like a that was like a husband-wife duo over there. <laughs> Dr. Well, Schlock. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what and then she followed up in 1989 with American Angels, Baptism of Blood. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I had to just throw that in there. Uh, Rocktober Blood, man, kind of a simple premise. It, it's a, it's just one of these weird freaking heavy metal. It's basically like a music video throughout this movie. I mean, it, it's crazy. Um, very bad acting. Horrible acting, actually. Um, some of the worst I've ever seen. Main actress, uh, Donna, played by Lynn Starling, who I had to look her up because she's absolutely stunningly beautiful, man. And you get to see tatas and behinds and all that good stuff. I'm PG on here and uh, beautiful. So I had to look her up. I'm like, Lynn Starling, let me look her up. Has she done anything else in, in acting? Of course she hasn't because she sucked. But she beautiful. <laughs> there again, the, the whole premise of this movie is a music video, basically. Really cool 80s hair band. Uh, the music will really get you pumped in this movie. I mean, it, it did have a really good soundtrack, but the movie itself was just poorly executed in all avenues. A lot of the kills were not very well done. But with that said, I had so much fun with this movie. It was crazy. I'm like, why am I watching this horribly made movie? And maybe it was the music. Maybe it was the beautiful women. I don't know. But still, I mean, would I say go buy this movie? Absolutely not. But I would tell you it's on YouTube to watch for free. Why not? If you just want to sit and chill and say, hey, what 
watch Rocktober Blood. It's on there. You can watch it. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd throw it out, but I just, I don't know, man. It, it was a crazy film that as bad as it was, Jay, it had me hooked. I wanted to see what happened. And then the ending, I'm like, oh my God, that was so lame. But I had fun with it. <laughs> see, that's what I love about you and Dr. Shock. You guys like genuinely love movies. And you know, and, and Boss Butcher's like this too. That's like I really admire about that guy too. Like if yeah. even if it's bad, you guys are like, whatever, it's a movie. It's just fun. You guys have fun with it and I, I can get along with that. Well, I'm telling you, the soundtrack, guys, if you love 80s hair bands, you will absolutely love the soundtrack. It will get you pumped up and get you kind of air guitaring, slinging and doing some headbanging. It's just that kind of movie. <laughs> We're going to have to get that for our uh, heavy metal horror episode, it sounds yep. like. That sounds good. Cool. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Hope blood. It sounds like a must. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's it's- Cool. Excellent. So, uh, Dr. Shuck, what do you have for 1984? You know, it's interesting. As I'm looking through the list of movies from 1984, I have not seen too many of them aside from the heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not going to start off with a heavy hitter. I'm going to start off with one that I obviously have not seen. And it's a movie called Satan's Blade. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a lot about it. It's just uh, from 1984, directed by L. Scott Castillo, Jr., uh, and it's um, looking at IMDb here. It says, at a mountain resort, a local resident is possessed by the evil spirit of an ancient mountain man and terrorizes a ski lodge. Uh, it sounds, well, sounds pretty interesting. I mean, I don't even know if this is available anywhere. Uh, I haven't gotten that far with it. Um, and I'm not really recognizing any members of the cast, to be honest with you. Uh, but it has a tagline of it took over a hundred years, but the blade got even. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about this one, Dr. Shuck, if you look at the cover art on that, it looks strikingly similar to that of future kill, which we'll probably talk about later tonight. But um, Satan's blade and future kill, like the cover art, if you put those side by side, that's an interesting compare and contrast, but mm, neat. interesting, yeah. And this does have a Blu-ray release, Dr. Shop. Oh, it does? Yes. There's well, a company, and, and I'm trying to remember because they, they have a sub-company in this one, and I'm trying for the life of me to remember, and it, it's, it's slipping. I have a couple of theirs, uh, but they're called Slasher Video. And I'm wanting to say it's like it's not Vestron, but it's something like that. Uh, but anyways, Ooh. they do have – they've released some really cool uh, throwback slasher films and uh, but like I said, the company's side it's kind of like when you got Shout Factory, Scream Factory. Well, it's mm-hmm. kind of ill. And like I said, they they have their own line of movies called Slasher Video. And uh, highly recommend. I've got a couple there. Uh, yeah, Roy, I, I see it up. here. What's in? It's interesting because the the, the, the DVD is fourteen ninety nine. The Blu Ray is fifteen fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Excellent. All right, that's Satan's nice. Blade from nineteen eighty four. Okay, uh, Wolfman Josh, what do you have for 1984? Well, I am going to go with uh, sticking with the Palma here, I guess, mm. because I, I I missed talking about Blowout. I, I mentioned Just to Kill, but Body Double is one that I think is worth mentioning here. It's uh, slasher adjacent, but I think uh, I think horror fans will enjoy this, especially if you're like a Hitchcock fan or Giallo fan. It's fun to see. Uh, De Palma's trashy take on these things. 
Um, <laughs> I, I really like his movies, and this is an interesting one. It's it's his take kind of on Rear Window, again with like some heavy giallo kind of elements in it. Um, but basically, what you have here is a young man who's an actor, down on his luck, finds out that his his uh, significant other is having an affair, and he needs a place to stay, and he runs into. Uh, this guy named Sam Bouchard, who's played by Greg Henry. And he, he says, come over, stay at my place. It's a fellow actor. He says, come stay at my place. I'm going to be out of town on a shoot. Uh, you, I'm house sitting. You can stay at this house. It's this amazing mansion. Just come stay there for free. Don't worry about it. So he comes over and he stays at this house. And when he goes over there, he's like, by the way, there's something you've got to check out. There's this hot lady who dances every yes. night at midnight and does a little show and if you ch- if you look through my telescope here, you'll be able to watch her. It's like clockwork; it happens every night. <laughs> and so he he stands there and kind of like makes the guy look through the telescope. And, want, and mm-hmm. sure enough, there she is, and she's you know doing this dance that ends in you know kind of a sexual act type of a situation. And he's like, "Wow, that that was intense." And uh, <laughs> you know, the next night at midnight, he watches again, and and then he starts to notice, you know, some strange things going on. There's a there's a guy out on the roof uh, working on a satellite dish, like a like a with a, I don't know what he's doing, like welding or something. But he's watching the lady too, and he looks a little creepy. And uh, the next morning, he notices this guy watching the lady's house and starts following the lady. And so now our protagonist, his name is Jake. Um, He's following this bad guy, follow the lady <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and observing her. And so it gets out of the immediate rear window setting, but it kind of keeps putting us in these kind of rear window situations where he's observing her from afar, uh, throughout the course of the film. And then, uh, he, he sees, you know, he, he follows her all around. He, he runs into her, the guy steals her purse and uh, he chases the the guy to get it back, and and you know, and ultimately nothing happens. But he's he's back, and he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to check in on her again. And he's lo- watching through the through the telescope yet again, and then notices, oh, the guy's in her house. He's in her house, hmm. and so he decides he's going to go and and try to save her. And um, he goes running over there, and and that's just the beginning. He ends up getting, and there's a crazy slasher kill in that scene. Yep. Um, I'm not going to reveal anything about it, but it's, it's insane. You know, it's up there Um it, it's largely off screen, but it doesn't uh, detract from the crazy amount of gore that that's in the scene. And, um, and then it just goes crazy from there. It, it's almost like eight and a half is it eight and a half, not eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like eight, eight millimeter. millimeter, eight okay. millimeter. Right. It goes down this really dark road into kind of like this pornography and, and all this yep. stuff. And who knows what's going on. And Melanie Griffith is involved in mm. that. And, um, <laughs> and it's just a crazy skeevy little movie. And, um, I'm not sure about Craig Watson. He plays Jake Scully. I don't know why he's our main character. He's bad. Like I find him to be really distracting. I don't know if they thought they were getting a Jimmy Stewart type with him or what, but um, <laughs> he's on, un- he's an unusual actor because I can see him in, in a lot of his movies. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's hitting a wrong note or something <laughs> in, in his performance, you know? And, and I've seen him in things that I've liked. Oh but, yeah, me too. But I'm around three. I like, Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street three, yeah, that that's one. And he there's a there's this uh, show I used to watch every Fourth of July called um, 
a more perfect union where he plays James Madison, and I thought he was good in that. But yeah, and a lot of his movies, and I'm thinking like Ghost Story and such, there's just something about him. There's just this, this wrong note that he's hitting that's just not quite there. And I guess it's, it's kind of in this mm. movie as well. It's kind of like when Greg Amortis sings. It's just that slight little <laughs> off note. I don't know what it is. There you go. Unless it's country music, I understand you're a great karaoke country music singer. Man, that's devil music. I don't do country music. I'm telling you, if you listen to country music, you're the devil. I, I love messing. Um, so, Wolfman Josh, as I was looking over the IMDb page for this movie, I had another little epiphany that's much like the blow up, blow out one. So his name, Craig, Craig's character name is Jake Scully. Well, it's interesting because in Avatar, the character is Jake Sully. And I wonder if that's a riff on it because Jake Sully in Avatar, he is a body double. He's actually <laughs> a twin to his brother. And then he's, he's also being in this Avatar, which is kind of a body double. And I wonder if they're kind of riffing on this De Palma character. Interesting. It's possible. I Josh. Guess. Josh is like, I'm just going to ignore you because... No, no, it's interesting. <laughs> and Melanie Griffith's character in this movie's name is Holly Body, and I don't think that's by accident either. So no. Right. <laughs> I, I, little small, and this will be very quick. <laughs> uh, story about that was, that was one of the first movies, Wolfman, that I ever remember feeling as a young child, and, uh, and I'll say this politically correct, feeling aroused <laughs> so to speak <laughs> was that movie was like i felt dirty watching that movie like i would go in the bedroom when mom and dad was in the other room and if i heard somebody walking down the hall i would turn it but like my, <laughs> my body double was always like really choppy in that that moments of her dancing because it was a constant rewind pause rewind pause like absolutely stunningly beautiful as a little kid. I was twisted fans I really was but uh, that's that's a normal human development there yeah, Greg that's how you're describing yeah, but yeah it's not like a normal kid yeah yeah but no, no it, really, though, because, I mean, you know, I saw this movie later and at that point I knew Melanie Griffith as like a legitimate established actress. Yes. And in this film, she's playing a porn actress. So, I mean, you know, she actually isn't a real movie here, but she feels like this porn actress in this movie. And it's kind of <laughs> weird, like uh, to see her knowing who she was. But, you know, actually, as you go back further in her career. And earlier on, you know, she wasn't a lot more stuff like this. Uh, it's a little skeevy, but it's funny. I think it's interesting that, you know, she's in this movie because she's Tippi Hedren's daughter, obviously, in real life. Right. And so <laughs> it's cool. You, even there, De Palma's doing a little homage uh, by mm -hmm. sticking Tippi Hedren's daughter in the movie. Yeah. Right. I love it. Okay, so it sounds like Josh is recommending Body Double. <laughs> I like it quite a bit. <laughs> I do, cool. too. I, I really enjoy that movie. <clears throat> That's good. Okay, well, I had better just get this out of the way while <laughs> while it's early, <laughs> while, while I have the uh, energy and the stamina. So, guys, I, I don't mean to make waves, but uh, for my 1984 feature review, I wanted to talk about something that we typically, obviously, don't think of as an 80s slasher film. But according to all the academic type of uh, discussion we've done, and the analysis, it fits perfectly as a slasher film. And so uh, before people turn this off, just hear me out in this review. This <laughs> is our feature review of The Terminator. In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. 
This weapon will be powerful, versatile, and indestructible. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It will feel no pity, no remorse, no pain, no fear. It will have only one purpose, to return to the present and prevent the future. This weapon will be called the Terminator. You're dead, honey. Okay, so in order to do this, guys, I got to give a full-blown spoiler alert at the beginning. So if you haven't seen The Terminator from 1984, it's a must-see. So, you know, go see that first before you listen to this. But yeah, if I were to class... uh, Most people classify this as like a sci-fi type action movie. It's a Schwarzenegger movie, obviously. But honestly, I think it's uh, sci-fi. I think it's action and I think it's horror, and specifically, I think it's a slasher flick. So, but first, the premise. An indestructible human-looking <laughs> cyborg is sent from 2029 back in time to 1984 to assassinate a waitress. It's going to assassinate Sarah Connor in hopes of preventing her from birthing a son who would be the leader of the human resistance against these cyborg machines, okay? And it's got Linda Hamilton in it. It's got uh, Michael Bean, Paul Winfield, and Lance Henriksen's in this one. Excellent. Okay, so guys, in order to do this, let's let's review real quick. So in John Kenneth Muir's book, we talked about the elements of the slasher paradigm, which is the organizing principle. So in this movie, the organizing principle is the past, or, or really the present for people who are watching it. It's set in Los Angeles, 1984, and you're in a world where time travel is possible, at least in the future of this world, and cyborgs are possible. Now, the prior evil, we talk about prior evils being um, something that needs to be paid for or inspiring the monster to act and go on a a killing rampage. Usually it's a past transgression. Well, this one is kind of interesting with the prior evil aspect because, um, like, on one hand, because the future machines are trying to come back to to kill Sarah Connor (laughs) and prevent her son... It, like where you're going with this. Yeah, the, <laughs> it, it's, it's neat because uh, in in some ways, the prior evil is actually in the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's a future, future evil. evil. Yeah, That's it's, really good, Jay. It's, Thanks. It's more of a future evil. But in, in other ways, like, you know, the, the past transgression would be you have the Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese character. They have this one night stand of premarital love relations in a hotel room. This little fling. And she gets pregnant with uh, John Connor. That's right. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Let's talk about the monster or the killer. In this case, he has a a familial target. It's a family-related type of target, much like Greg Amor's hero, Michael Myers. Um, He goes down through a list of kills. I mean, when he arrives in Los Angeles, 1984, he rips out the, the phone book. Uh, Sarah Connor and he just goes down and starts wiping out all of the Sarah Connors one at a time. He is a slow stalking force. He never stops coming. 
He keeps coming back for his victims, much like Michael Myers. And, you know, it's a slasher theme where evil never dies. It keeps coming. You can't stop it. And in fact, in the series, other Terminators are coming as well. And and so it's like this monster presence is always going to be coming at them. Um, and, and here's a little quote. Let, tell me if this describes Greg Mortis. You know more about Michael Myers than anybody I know. So tell me if this describes Michael Myers. Ready? Okay. Quote, he's out there. Can't be bargained with. He can't be reasoned with. He doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. He absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. <laughs> is that Michael Myers or what? That is, but I've got to say that um, you have blasphemed Michael Myers to the no imp by putting Terminator with Michael Myers. I've just got to tell you that <laughs> straight up. You have blasphemed the name of Michael Myers. If I was in Utah right now, I would be strangling you like, how dare you wait, put wait. The, the Terminator against Michael Myers. But, Hang on, but, but, wait a second. Is it, is it blasphemy? blasphemy or is it celebrating are they are they actually homaging because i no. think i think they pulled a lot from him because for example no no, <laughs> no they didn't pull anything from michael myers no check it out i think they were inspired by him the terminator even has a mask a, a skin mask that's a guy's <laughs> face just like leatherface or michael myers right um, well, Captain Kirk, hey, why not? <laughs> that's right. And it even has uh, theme music. He has he has his own theme, like a, a recitative, this recurring theme that indicates his presence when he's coming. You know, there's dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, right? You got that? Um, so much like Michael Myers. And then, you know, later in the film, there's um, what John Kenneth Muir speaks of as sting in the, in the tail, or um, the monster is never really dead, right? It keeps coming back. So even when he gets incinerated, you think he's right. gone, he crawls out. And, and like even, I mean, he loses the lower half of his body and he is always coming. He's got a soul focus, one mission, no mercy. Okay. Greg, you know I'm selling you, so there's more. You're selling me, but let me break in one second. Do it, do This it. would be like the version of getting fruit rings instead of fruit loops you, you know what i'm saying this is, this is like the flakes kellogg's brand and instead getting the the lesser whatever brand you know the the, 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 the generic it's in a bag yes it's in a right bag. remember the kind that actually never had a box it was just a bag you know yeah too cheap to even get cardboard box to put it well that's what you're comparing it to here no i'm <laughs> with I'm at, that's so funny you mentioned that because I'm actually a, a, a name brand cereal man myself. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Uh, like Fruit Loops, I, I love real Fruit Loops and like sure. and I I hate the fake version. So I can appreciate what you're saying there. Well, and and it is because mom would always tell me she'd buy the cheap brand most of the time, and she's like, it tastes the same, and I'd be like, no, it don't. It no. does right. not taste the same. I don't care what you say. It tastes like cardboard. No, you made the real. Person. It's true, and like, and fires. I don't want Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator. I want Michael Myers. Well, and I'm not saying he's a replacement for for Michael Myers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
for sure because like yeah it's it's a different kind it's a sci-fi uh slasher Mm -hmm. but yeah there's a victim pool and here and and this would really this kind of stretches it so uh, i'm just going to warn you right up front but um as he's going this kind of stretches it thus far (laughs) dr shock i don't i haven't heard anything that stretched i mean all this is right on target with the slasher convention (laughs) I just I have never in in my my horror history ever put Terminator as a slasher flick. So you've enlightened me, Jay. You well, have broadened my horizon to say hmm, Terminator could be a slasher film. There, there's a chink in the armor, which we'll get to. I, I, <laughs> there is definitely a problem with this okay. to some okay. extent. So I'll admit that. But thus far, it's been pretty solid. <laughs> So you're very entertaining, Jay, with what you're saying. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm listening. Well, thanks. Okay. So you got a victim pool here, guys, um, where okay. you have uh, the lesser Sarah Connor. So in a, in a slasher film, there are people who are killed and dispatched along the way throughout the film, but not the final girl. You know, Sarah Connor, obviously, she's the survivor. She's the final girl in this film. But these other Sarah Connors are the lesser Sarah Connors, right? And, and one might argue, although I don't think Greg Amortis would ever argue this, but um, that Judith is the mm. lesser Laurie Strode. Like she's the sister that's actually weaker um, than Laurie Strode. You you could argue that, but but maybe not. I mean, but I can say that. Also, his victims are anybody who gets in his way, just like Michael Myers. Like he doesn't always just the Terminator and Michael Myers, both. They don't necessarily just take out everybody they see. Just if somebody gets in their way of their target, then that person. Totally. Ends up dead. Totally. Cause Michael right. let a lot of people walk. He, he didn't right. go and just butcher everybody on the street. He, he did let some people walk. So yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then another um, convention is the, what's called the tour of the dead where we're shown like aftermath shots where we we see the dead victims and there's a really compelling scene in the terminator where um we, we see it. <laughs> it, it's it's sarah connor's mother's house and i told you i was given spoilers so um and we hear the mother's voice talking but we see this carnage and he has obviously taken out the mom and he's impersonating her voice and then you got the red herring. Now, this is very interesting to me. Now, for Sarah, not not for the audience as much, but for Sarah Connor in the film and the authorities, um, and I, I will say for audiences who are first viewing this, this doesn't work on repeat viewings, but on the first viewing, Kyle Reese is kind of a red herring because they think he's crazy. They think he's dangerous. Now, Kyle Reese actually ends up being the harbinger of doom, or uh, the Cassandra figure in this, as Muir calls it, um, because he understands the danger. He's trying to raise a warning voice, and he's disregarded. He's dismissed as crazy. And like most harbingers of doom, uh, you know, he's killed even though he's aware of the danger. So that's interesting. And mm-hmm. and uh, let's see. So Sarah Connor, as the final girl, which we mentioned. Uh, she begins weak and timid, but she ends strong and determined. She's battle-hardened, just like the classic final girl. Another convention of the slashers, uh, which you mentioned, Greg Mortis, in a previous episode, is you've got the authorities who are like these useless, powerless, impotent authority figures. And in this in this movie, they have some great ones. They have the shrink, which is <laughs> Earl Bowen's, you know, his yeah. Dr. Silberman character. 
Yes. I mean, that guy is the worst and he's so useless and unhelpful. Mm. And, and and the two, the cops really too. And then uh, another element of the slasher film is the, the coup de grace or the death blow. And, and in this case, um, there's a vice and she smashes the Terminator, which is the final death blow. It's like the exclamation point and that's the line where she says you're terminated effort like, like that. <laughs> which i think is hilarious now i know i know that uh horror fans don't really care a lot about what mainstream film critics have to say but it is interesting to me when this was released in 1984 i looked at like the new york times film critic janet maslin when they she wrote her review of this film she actually referred to it as a suspense tale, but she also calls it a monster movie, which it is. And she um, refers to it as a B-movie with flair in her review. And um, when, when she's describing Sarah Connor, uh, she says that her character goes from cheerful obliviousness to the grim knowledge that someone horrible is on her trail. And that, that reminds me so much of Laurie Strode right there. Now, um, she also says that the characters don't last long. She says har- hardly anyone in the film does when pitted against the behemoth. And that reminds me of anybody that faces, you know, Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. And then at, of the monster, she says he eventually shows signs of wear and tear. He loses an eye and one part of a forearm. And uh, even in that condition, he keeps on marching. And that's cool. And then finally, for my final point here on this is Roger Ebert when he and Gene Siskel were reviewing this by the way Gene Siskel (laughs) that guy bugs me he was not impressed with the Terminator Uh, I just want to say which is shocking Roger Ebert of course gave it thumbs up because he knew what he was talking about but but he Greg Mortis (laughs) he said he called this movie a cross between Dirty Harry and the Road Warrior meets the killer from Halloween is what he said. And wow. He liked it, so. I, I've lost all respect for that man, but yes. <laughs> so anyways. Like I ever had any form. No, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm actually holding the Blu-ray in my hand right now, Jay, believe it or not, that I picked up at Walmart, or not Walmart, at Food Line grocery store chain <laughs> of all things for $4.99, the MGM release. Wow. <sighs> When's the last time you watched The Terminator? God, seven years maybe. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you revisit. It's a great movie. Don't get me wrong, a great movie, but I would have never considered that a slasher film. But yeah, no. Okay, yeah, you changed no. my mind, Jay. Well, Not the ch- well, the chink in the armor. So I gotta after laying all that out. If you subscribe to uh, Carol J. Clover, you know, and in her point, she says mm-hmm. that the slasher monsters don't use guns and. This this Terminator monster, he does use guns. Now, uh-huh. but you could argue the phallic symbol, the phallic shape of a bullet, which penetrates the body, opens up the body. <laughs> I'm just saying. And and in the Terminator <laughs> 2, and I wouldn't make as strong a case for T2, which is much more of an action movie, but in Terminator mm-hmm. 2, the sequel, that guy... That Terminator uses blades, like he turns his body into blades, and he actually yep. does slash and stab people. But in the Terminator, we get more than just a phallic symbol. That's one thing about Michael Myers; he didn't run down the street, you know, tackle out. But aside from that, what getting back to what you're talking about with um, 
Uh, you were saying Kyle Reese was sort of the harbinger of doom mm-hmm. uh, for this movie. I don't see Crazy Ralph jumping into bed with Adrian King. No. <laughs> right. But there are no there are no uh, limitations on whether or not the Harbinger of Doom can sleep with people. You don't you don't think uh, Crazy Ralph got his freak on at some point, Doctor Chuck? Well, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, not yeah, with not with not with Adrian King, and not when he was the Harbinger of Doom. Maybe before he was the Harbinger of Doom. I don't know. As a 20 year old man, he was running around talking about Jason Voorhees. <laughs> right. Or if he was, it's a death curse. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, I I wouldn't think that his uh, love exploits would be like mutually exclusive with his job as a harbinger of doom. But I think that's interesting that you you bring that up. But um, so so yeah, for me guys, I, it, this is a ten out of ten movie. I do love it. No, I typically don't. I don't either. I don't usually think of this as an eighty slasher film. But it occurred to me upon looking at this that hey, it fits like almost like a glove almost perfectly and it's it's modeled very closely Gregor Mortis to uh, Michael Myers but with a sci-fi twist so I'd love to hear and I, 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 I will I'll give you you know some of your points are interesting I'll give you that some of your points are interesting mm-hmm. and, and I can see where you're coming from I love the Terminator too I mean it's it's darn near a 10 out of 10 for me as well yeah it's, it's a absolute classic absolutely yeah I, I do I'm Love it. I actually like Terminator 2 maybe a little more, but that's, uh, you know, but the, the original Terminator is a classic and it's great. And I can see where you're coming from with some of your comparisons. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you left a stomp there. I mean, Jay, great points, but I still, I could not put that in a slasher genre, but great movie to watch. Right. What do you think? The, gu- the guns have a lot to do with it. I mean, the, the yeah. using of guns have a lot to do with it. Go ahead, Wolfman. What did you say? I just, I, I just want to be the first to applaud you here. I think you've mm-hmm. done an excellent job. I, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we talked about, um, you know, sometimes film critics' theories can be a little bit out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but if they can provide supporting evidence enough that uh, that I'm okay with it, and I think you've done a, a great job. It's a, it's a fool's errand in a lot of ways, and it's a thankless <laughs> job. Uh, you're not going to get a lot of uh, a lot of praise for it, but I think you did a you did an excellent job laying that out, and I think it's a lot of fun what you did, and uh, <laughs> and and I absolutely think you're wrong, but I I think it's fun. <laughs> I, I think that for me it's um yeah I mean I think it's great I think as a film someone who loves filmmaking and as a film viewer I love to see a hybrid genre and I love to see that someone could think. James Cameron could think, let me make a sci-fi movie, but let me make it a slasher. Like that's that's so exciting to me, right. and I would like to see more of that. Actually, I, oh, I would too. Yes. So, so I think that's a really fun thing uh, to think about, and I, I I really appreciate just as much as I appreciate De Palma bringing in Giallos and Hitchcock, I absolutely appreciate James Cameron bringing a slasher into a a sci-fi uh, robot movie. So with ribbits. Yeah. But um, yeah. <laughs> cool. But well, anyway, thank you. I, 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 totally awesome. I, I think uh, one thing that really frustrates me about this, you know, I think <laughs> I, I think when we listen to it, I you know, I, as someone who suffers from shame issues, I think as a horror fan, you want to go like, ah, uh, yeah, like give us give us the Terminator so that we can say that there's a high quality slap 
Asher because the critics are so shaming to horror fans, you know, saying mm-hmm. that there's nothing good out there. So, but I, but I love that Greg Mortis as the most hardcore slasher fan, just like, no, this is back <laughs> cereal. This is, this is not okay. And, and, and Greg gave me more confidence as a slasher fan. So I didn't have to live in a veil of shame and say, yeah, no, no, this is not a slasher film. I don't care. I'm not going to suck up to you so I can get some awards with my with my slashers. Um, and and it, it's frustrating to think that Terminator, released in 1984, has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. You have Friday the 13th, the final chapter, in my opinion, one of the greatest slashers of all time, has a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, released the same year. That's, all right, Christ. That's, that's ridiculous to me. So anyway, so, uh, I, I appreciate what you did, and I and you. I think the critics are lame. And um, <laughs> and, and, this was a, and this was a fun exercise. Well, yeah. let me. Yeah, so and, 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 and you, there are similarities between um, the character, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger character, and a slasher uh, monster, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote monster. There are similarities, you know, with the with the never stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and with the with the main goal, and nothing gets in his way, and if it gets in his way, it doesn't survive. You know, flesh there are, mask. There are similarities yeah. there. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't know about the flesh mask. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. It is a flesh mask because <laughs> this thing does not normally right? you know, yeah. look human. Um, you know, in its true form, it does not look human. So I guess that's that's true. I guess um, we could say that's somewhat of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre Leatherface. Yeah, or it's somewhat of just Arnold's acting. Like his acting is as convincing as a rubber William Shatner mask. <laughs> but no, but in this film, you're right. He's not a great actor generally. But in this film, playing a robot, like it's like yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. it totally I was, works. It was just yeah. So let me just ask you guys one question. So thanks for how gracious you were and kind. But I do want to, so I get the sense from all three of you, you're saying, nope, this is not a slasher film. I would love to hear each of you, and I bet the listeners, you can be the voice of the listeners right now. Just just tell me, and I'll shut completely up. Tell me why, how is it not, uh, or why is it not a slasher film? Each of you, go ahead. Well, uh, for me, it's, it is the fact well, not just solely the fact, but the fact that there are guns involved, and that is what this he's going after him with. Um, and that is something that you do not normally see in, 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 a, in a regular slasher film. And that changes I mean, the tone. It's not yeah, just like a physical gun. It actually changes mm-hmm. the vibe. Yeah, he's, of he's constantly watching. coming, but if he sees her, you know, 300 feet away and she doesn't see him, boom, she's gone. You right. know, uh, mm-hmm. it's not quite the same. It's not quite that stalking of... I have to walk up to you and I have to put my weapon, you know, into, I have to, I have to stab you. I have to, you know, get right up next to you in order to do damage to you. That makes it different right there. Yes. Um, and the future evil, it's an, I tell you, that was a very interesting point that you raised there, the, the sort of future evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could kind of argue and, and look at it as the whole future thing would not fit in with a slasher genre, but then you had to throw in like Jason X or you have to throw in different. No, you, don't. you don't have to throw <laughs> in Jason <laughs> X. <ever. Yeah. laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I stepped by Wolfman, but, but the whole future, you know, thing. So, oh man. Yeah. Like I, I totally, doesn't feel tonally like right. a slasher. 
No, it don't. The whole gun definitely throws it in a whole different field. But also the whole fact that you don't have the whole symbolism of the of the promiscuous girls, you know, if you if you're having premarital sex, you're going to die. You know, the whole issues of that. This what? was just the the whole this is a robot that's out to kill 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 which slashers was a little bit different slashers had a little bit more of the intimacy of going after individuals for doing the wrong things it's a little different for me i got you i will say sarah connor's um roommate in the beginning Mm -hmm. the one girl who says sings duke of earl in them she yes. is the kind of the promiscuous character that gets killed, but yes. Okay, we got one. Yeah, and also you do, like, uh, going back to what I had said about the, the Harbinger of Doom, forget about, you know, the, the sleeping with, with the final girl. You also have him as a major combatant uh, in going up against. Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know that that's never happened in a slasher film, but it's not a normal, it's not, you know, it's not a norm in a slasher film. Well, well, usually the Harbinger of Doom will, say his piece and then just sort of, you know, bugger off. But here he's sticking around and he's fighting. Um, He's part of the fight. He's a major part of the fight. I mean, he's the reason there's a fight. Well, he's Samuel Loomis is is who Mm. he is. Like, because Loomis is the harbinger of doom in Halloween. And he's he's definitely a part of the fight. He's the guide. And he helps. True. That's true. So he goes up against. I'll give you that. He does. and And he's a big part of the fight as well. Okay. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking more. I'm, I was, was more of the Friday the 13th mindset there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think Cameron, having worked with, you know, uh, Lincoln on his name right now, horror icon, B movie producer, Roger Corman. Roger Corman. <laughs> he's probably very familiar with the world of horror. I don't think it, sure. I don't think this is outside of his uh, the types of films he would have been watching and and right. uh, he probably had friends making slasher movies. I'm sure Halloween was just as influential on him as it was on everybody at that time. And he probably saw it and said, you know, everyone else saw it and said, how can I make another cheap knockoff slasher? And he probably saw it and say, how can I copy this formula and put it into something I'm interested in doing, which is science fiction. And I don't have any problem with this, Jay, to be honest. I just, it does to me, it doesn't feel like a slasher. I would say (laughs) this is a great example of a, a, you know, uh, slasher influenced sci-fi film. And I think that's awesome. Like that to me, mm-hmm. you, I think that's, you did a great job pointing that out. So <laughs> I, I totally I, agree with you, Wolfman. Yeah. Thanks guys. Uh-huh. You guys are the I best. And, and for next week, we'll be talking about how aliens is actually an evil kid movie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm totally playing. <laughs> I'll stop doing this. Okay. So, uh, let's move, let's move on. Uh, who's next in 1984? Did we start with Greg Amortis? I believe. Yes, we did. Okay. What do you got? Greg Amortis? Well, I think to keep with the theme of non slasher films becoming slasher films, uh, how, <laughs> how about we go to a little film from 1984? I'm laughing because I'm actually being kind of serious about this. Cause I never pictured this being a slasher film, but it does have slasher elements. And I feel like we should have threw in a heavy hitter right after that one, but I'm not. How about a little film? (laughs) How about a little film from a a director who I'd never heard of? Go figure. Another one of those. Howard Avitas. Anybody heard of Howard Avitas? No. Nope. But there's a film called They're Playing With Fire. Anybody heard of They're Playing With Fire? I found it in research, but I haven't seen it. Nope. It is available on YouTube to watch for free, which I actually watched because of one person that's the very 
probably one of the most gorgeous women to ever grace earth. <laughs> That's saying a lot, but Sybil Danning. Oh, wow. <laughs> Howling <laughs> Uh Wow. But, but I, I did a little research on this, and I, I saw that Sybil Danning was in it, and all I needed to know was that uh, an individual had reviewed this and said, hmm, boobies in the first 10 minutes. I'm addicted. So I was like, hey, let's watch this movie. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, there is a lot of boobies in this. She's naked throughout this whole movie. Uh, but she is a college professor, a married college professor, who ends up having an affair with one of her students who looks like he's about 10 years old, even though he's supposed to be a college student. And then there's this whole scenario where her husband's uh, family is well-to-do, the mom, and they're like really wealthy, and they're wanting to off, off, <laughs> kill off the the parents so they can gain all the money. And so they're bringing in this college student to uh, kind of do the dirty deed for them, so their hands are clean. And that kind of plays out until you know a little snag comes up, and then you have the slasher element come in. Um, is this a great film? No, but it's entertaining. I thought it had a good, this almost feels like a made for TV film. It did have one or two decent. And when I say decent, I'm really stretching, but, but a couple gore scenes in here, that's really stretching the, the serial or the slasher killer in this one ends up being just a guy with a ski mask on, which is just as lame as anything you'll ever read. Uh, and the fact that they kind of give the killer away way too early to the point that when they finally reveal the moment, they're kind of looking at the camera like, ha, we got you. And you're like, no, I figured that out when you heard, I heard him talking 15 minutes ago. So you totally <laughs> ruined that, that shock moment. And they even did the music to go, dun, 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 you know, to, to reveal it. And you're oh, like, no. Yeah, they, they totally dropped the ball on it. But it is a decent watch. Uh, once again, Sybil Danning, absolutely stunningly beautiful. Has uh, Andrew Prine in it. A um, few others in there you might recognize. But it, it's a decent stretching of a slasher film. But I could see the slasher elements in it for sure. Uh, but yeah, check it out. They're playing with fire on YouTube. Don't buy it, but watch it. Uh, give it a whirl, especially if you're looking for a slasher film that you've never seen. <laughs> Check it out. If nothing else, Civil Danning looks absolutely gorgeous in this movie. Ooh, baby! I love it. I love it that you watched some movies for this. Like you did homework, Craig Mortis. That's very admirable. I, I went out because I did not. I mean, other than the big hitters in '84, man, the, the the list I'm looking at are like clueless to me. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. So what do you got, Dr. Shock, for 1984? Well, I think I am going to go with the heavy hitter here. And it's what we've discussed, we've discussed before. Um, and, and actually, Josh just brought it up not too long ago. And it's my second favorite in the series. And it's really close to being my overall favorite in the series. And that's Friday the 13th, the mm -hmm. final chapter, mm -hmm. uh, directed by Joseph Zito. Um, I had uh, actually written this up on the blog, I guess, going on well over five years ago now. And um, just at the start, I put this film, the fourth in the series, is titled The Final Chapter, and yet at least six more would follow it with part five, appropriately titled A New Beginning, arriving in theaters a mere 11 months after this final chapter was released. Yet another feather in the cap of Jason Voorhees, not even the damn filmmakers could finish him off. <laughs> and in uh, what I like about this movie... Well, there's a lot of things I like about this movie. I like 
the young, the mix of the, you know, the, of the, of the kids in this one. Um, I like the addition of Corey Feldman's character as mm-hmm. Tommy. Um, there's just that great scene where he's looking out the window and he sees the girls across the way, you know, sort of, uh, taking off their clothes and, and, and whatnot. And just the way he acts, the way he reacts in that moment, that's how a kid that age would act. You know, I like that. Um, but I also like that, you know, um, Tom Savini was back for this one. So you get the really good, uh, the kill scenes are tremendous. Um, the one at the very end with Jason, uh, I remember Bill Shetty mentioning this and he's right. It's a little bit, a eh, little bit questionable at the very end. Um, uh, there's one in there, but you know what? I think there's just a lot about this movie that, um, that's great. And it's, it is my, it's currently my second favorite behind the original. I love the original. It's just behind the original, but man, there are times when I'm thinking this could be my favorite Friday the 13th film. Nice. Yeah, uh, Glover's all you got to say, man. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Th- this is my favorite, by the way. Uh, this is my highest rated. I rated this one a nine when we did uh, the franchise review mm-hmm. episode forty three. And um, yeah, and this is this is absolutely uh, my my number one. I mean, a lot of people talk about part three as kind of the introduction introduction of the you know the Jason that we're familiar with. But I I still feel like this is the one where he hits that stride. And when I think of Jason Voorhees. It's this movie that I'm thinking of. Maybe this one and part six are like the two that like really come to mind when I'm thinking about Jason Voorhees. And so mm. I don't know. This is this is it for me. Um, we have a review here. Let's see. I give it a nine and said buy it. Dave gave it a nine point five and said buy it. Jay gave it an eight and said buy it. What it's... we don't know is what Greg Amortis says. Oh, this would be a total straight up nine nine point five. This this is an excellent excellent film. Nice. All right. Thank you, Dr. Shock. Yeah, it's Friday the 13th, uh-huh. the final chapter. Okay, what do you have for 1984, Wolfman Josh? Well, I mean, I kind of like these guys. I haven't seen a lot of these smaller films. I don't think um, that occurred to me because when I think of 1984, I think of it as one of the big years in horror. I'm with you. I thought the same thing. I thought, wow, there's, there's got to be a lot of ones in there. I'm looking at some of the titles I'm like, oh, wait a second. Yeah, but I think it's because there are so many heavy hitters in 84. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, not only just, you know, these the slashers that we're talking about, but you also have Gremlins and all these other movies. And so, um, yeah, I mean, 1984 was a huge year for cinema in general and a mm-hmm. great year for horror. It's just that there weren't actually that many. It was just some I mean, it's weird because if, if you had this many heavy hitters this year, we'd be like, wow, this is one of the best years of horror in a long time. <laughs> But uh, looking back in the 80s, we I guess we expect more. I don't know. So anyway, I'm going to go with my feature review here now. Uh, this is called The Initiation. Before the initiation begins, the subjects are studied. Even their dreams are recorded. Before the initiation begins, the testing areas are selected. The sorority house, the sanitarium the empty shopping mall and just before the initiation begins a toast is required being young staying young and dying young (laughs) so the initiation is the 1984 slasher movie it's uh, directed by larry stewart and written by charles pratt jr and it stars a little lady named daphne zaniga i don't know if i'm pronouncing her name right a lot of people you are 
if they watch um, television in the 90s, they would recognize her from things like uh, Melrose Place or in the 2000s from One Tree Hill. But for me, you know, she's Princess Vespa from from Spaceballs, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she was in some other slashes. She was in the Dorm of the Drip Blood, actually. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people would know her from Family Ties. Is something I definitely remembered her from. And The Sure Thing. Uh, so she's done a lot of work. She was in The Fly 2. Lots of stuff. Uh, great actress. And um, this is one of her earlier roles. She's very, very beautiful. And she does a great job here. This is a film that uh, it's one of those where the poster, like like a lot of the great '80s films, a lot of these grindhouse movies and slasher movies, the poster kind of uh, does better than the film does in a lot of respects. <laughs> and I think this is one where uh, right. hmm. the poster is not only cooler than the movie, but it also doesn't quite give you the idea of what you're going to be in for when you check this movie out. So be prepared for that. You mean he doesn't hold her up by the legs and light her head on fire? <laughs> no. Use her well, for a wanna, candle? <laughs> like, I don't want to fully spoil it, but who said it was a he, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoy uh, this movie. It's, it's a weird one, and it's definitely one that I think, okay, maybe this seems Giallo-inspired. Like, I can see how someone would watch a blade in the dark and, and try to do an American version of that. I can also see how something like this might go on to inspire scream two or scream three. It's got, you know, some really goofy elements and it. it's a whodunit like a lot of slashers. It's got this really traumatic psychological uh, prior evil as the backdrop and it's weird because you're wondering if it's supernatural or not for a lot of the first half of the film. There's some kind of odd things that occur that seem unexplainable um, by, you know, normal real world standards. But ultimately, it's it is set in the real world and it's just a kind of a typical slasher with a twist and, and a turn toward the end. Maybe a couple that are the type that you could have never figured out by paying attention to the film. And as someone who's a fan of the whodunit element, that's frustrating because I want to be able to feel like I can track back and figure out, oh, that's where, that's where I should have learned. This. That's what oh. was going on, you know? And it's not one, it kind of springs that ending on you in a way that's a little bit unfulfilling as a, as a whodunit fan, as a mystery fan, as a detective movie fan to say, well, I really could not have come to this conclusion <laughs> just right. simply by watching the movie. And it sprung yeah. this on me in the last two minutes of the film, but um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It takes place in a college. There's a big set piece in a uh, mall, essentially like a shopping center that, oh. you know, it's kind of has a bit of the mall Fantasia thing that we talked about on our, uh, Black Friday show, but also um, you know it has something that I really like in slashers, which is just kind of this giant second half, one location ending. I, I really mm. appreciate slasher movie where they kind of end up somewhere and then the rest of the movie plays out there, and you're not kind of anticipating that. But mm-hmm. essentially, you've got Daphne Zuniga, who is a young woman who's suffering from uh, nightmares, and she has a professor who does you know kind of sleep studies and uh the professor and the ta 
observe her and and try to kind of decode her nightmares that she's having and they as just great detectives just unbelievable detectives are able to almost figure out the mystery (laughs) simply by uh thinking about it really hard in the in their classroom um so you've got a stacker who's picking people off you've got some weird stuff going on at a mental asylum and you've got this young girl who is suffering from kind of trauma as she's going through the initiation process for a, uh, what do you call that? Not a fraternity, a sorority. A sorority. Right. So, she's, um, she's a pledge, right? She's pledging. So this could be maybe a home. If you were going to do a triple feature with the dorm, the drip blood and house on sorority row or, or something like this, that might be a fun one to watch, but it's not, a, it's not a great film. Um, as a movie, I'd probably give this one a five, but I would say it's worth a rental and, and it's a fun watch. All right. The Wolfman Josh says the initiation from 1984 is a five out of 10. Said rent it. All right, Josh, thank you very much for your review. And then I, I have one here I wanted to tell you guys about that's just, uh, it's from 1984 as well. It's actually a TV movie. I have not seen it. Mm-hmm. I got this from Captain Cracker's website. It's called Calendar Girl Murders. Murders. <laughs> it's available on YouTube. Yes. Did you watch that one too, Greg Morris? I did not get a chance. I skimmed through it just to see if I had seen it because the name just bled something I would have watched. Right. But it did not look familiar skimming. I'm definitely going to watch it. I got it on my saved list. Excellent. Yeah. So the, the premise on this, you get a millionaire finds that his life is falling apart when the models of his widely successful calendar are being killed one by one. And, and obviously I gather from IMDb, you know, the killer starts with January, miss January, of course, (laughs) and then goes through to miss February and so forth. And it was originally an ABC television movie. And it's available on DVD as well, according to our friend Captain Cracker. So there you go. All right. a kid, quite a cast, too. Tom Skerritt, uh, Sharon yep. Stone. Heck yeah. Um, Robert Beltran, who was from Star Trek Voyager. That's in, that's kind of a... Uh, that's interesting. Intriguing, that's right? That's what drew me to yeah. it, was the fact all them stars in it. Right. Yeah, and it's called Calendar Girl Murders. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right, Greg Morris, what you got for 1984, sir? Well, I think it's time to throw out one of the heavy hitters, man, for sure. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm letting everybody down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of my all-time Christmas favorites, man. It's almost Christmas time, guys, so you know where I'm going. Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And I know there's some hatred for this movie, but I absolutely love and adore this movie so much. Um, not only the movie poster, and I do hope guys, I know you talked about this on a previous episode about doing an episode about movie posters. Mm -hmm. I hope to goodness y'all do that. And this one should be in your list without a doubt. The, the Santa Claus arm going down the chimney with the ax. Oh, it's so beautiful. So awesome. But I think this movie was one of those that, uh, directed by Charles E. Sailor. Uh, Junior, I think this movie, the hype was better than the movie. And when I say that, there's not many Christmas movies. You know what I mean? As far as horror and especially slasher films. So it's in a a genre or in a 
a class that's very limited. So it, it obviously gets a lot of attention because it is one of the best Christmas horror slasher films other than like Black Christmas, of course, is the ultimate, I think, holy grail of the Christmas horror. But this one, I think, is is a good watch. I mean, it's the story of the boy who uh, whose mom and dad is murdered on Christmas Eve. You know, they're they're going rushing home for Christmas, and the boy's worried that Santa Claus won't be able to find his house because they're on the road and all these different things. And then, you know, Santa Claus is hitchhiking, and he sees his mom and dad murdered, and then he ends up into a uh, Catholic which I know Dr. Shock would know a lot about this, but into a, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. setting as far as a school. And then we later see him grow up and he does not like Santa Claus. And I got to give a shout out <laughs> to my great, 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 great friend, Justin Beam and his podcast, the Justin Beam radio hour uh, a few years ago. I don't know if you guys was able to do this, but a couple years ago, he spearheaded getting this re-released into the theaters, a limited mm-hmm. release. And I, I had the opportunity to watch it in the theater on the big screen. It looked absolutely gorgeous. Nice. Uh, Wiggly, man. Such a gorgeous, gorgeous film. The iconic deer antlers i almost say without spoiling anything but right. deer antlers when hey quigley was just amazing <laughs> yes uh, there was some really good kills in this one this was filmed in utah guys mm-hmm. uh yeah so wolfman jay well, i mean love there yeah you know um uh, our buddy who was uh michael myers in halloween five was also the stunt double for the killer in this movie, Doc Shanks. Sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, it's just got a unique story. I mean, it's nothing like groundbreaking or something that had never been done, but it's Santa Claus, quote unquote, or somebody like Santa Claus killing, mm-hmm. and I loved it. But like I said, the hype was the whole, when it first released, was the, the parents rising up and protesting this to the point that they took it out. So this was your, kind of like your, Oh, I don't want to get into the whole political side, but anyways, it, it was <laughs> doing your protest to the point that, yeah, they pulled it out of the theaters and said, oh, let's don't shake the grounds too much. So let's pull it out. So it had that whole aura around it, uh, which made it seem like it was a lot grittier and dirtier than it really was. Uh, but still a good mm-hmm. film, a good slasher film. I absolutely and, love it. And I, I liked what, uh, how Mickey Rooney and Mickey Rooney had voiced Santa Claus in some of those Rankin Bass specials, two of them actually. <laughs> um, and they went to him, and he said that the, the 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 miserable scum who made this movie should be run out of town. And then I think he himself appeared in Silent Night, Deadly Night, either three or four. I know he <laughs> actually appeared in the series uh, at a later time, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, but what get the thing that gets me about this? I mean, a, a lot of what you're saying, Greg, I, I absolutely agree with. But uh, you can't really just blow over that that damn grandfather at the oh beginning. Oh God, you know, so crazy! You see Santa Claus tonight, boy. You better run. You yes, <laughs> I love that. Yes, I have the T-shirt. I wear it every Christmas. I wear it during the summertime, man. I just I love that poster. <laughs> So beautiful. I mean, it really is beautiful. It is. It is. Just the colors, the I've always said this about snow, man, is we need more horror movies and especially slashers in snow because there's nothing yes. like a palette. You know, you got a plate of, of white. You've got this palette, beautifully shaped snow. Why not fill it with just red crimson blood, man? It just looks <laughs> right. 
you've got the Santa Claus arm in red, and you got the white chimney snowed, and it just looks gorgeous, man. Love it. Yes. Right, Greg. Killed it with that shirt. And I'm and I'm with you on the on the Catholic setting. I'm I'm surprised that not every serial killer in the slasher movies didn't attend a Catholic school or a Catholic institution <laughs> at one point or another. Yeah, the this one, the the head, uh, whatever you call her, mother, whatever. Superior. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I'm obviously not Catholic, you can tell. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was just so annoying to the point that God, oh, yeah. Good movie, good movie. Love it. Love it. We reviewed this one all the way back in episode five Mm. on a little episode called Bad Santa's Freaky Phone Calls and Klaus Kinski, (laughs) 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 which was apparently our Christmas Horror 2013 episode. We we did a bunch of uh, Christmassy horror films and and reviewed Silent Night, Deadly Night with uh, the three of us. So it was fun. Curious. Jay gave it a seven and said, buy it. Mm. I said 6.5 and said rental. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Shock said 7.5 and said buy it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And I see here that it was originally going to be called Slay Ride, S L A Y R I D E, throughout production. But right at the last minute, TriStar changed it to Silent Night, Deadly Night. Would it have had the backlash? I know a lot of it had to do with the poster art, but would it have had yeah. the same sort of backlash with the title of Slay Ride as opposed to Silent Night, Deadly Night? Well, wasn't the backlash not as much about it being after the hymn Silent Night, but it was more no, that it, it was, was Santa, Santa Claus killing. Yes, yeah. that, that's so what I, it was. But I, I think it I still know, would have been the same. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. And yes, that's what it was. It was more about Santa Claus than anything else. But I don't I don't think that title helped it. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> true enough. Yes. Totally agree. Well, Dr. Shark, what, what do you have uh, for 1984 then? Okay, let's see. Um, I am going to just talk about a movie here called, uh, well, let's go with this one. It's called Day of the Reaper. I love it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Five women on vacation are stalked by a hooded cannibal killer in the town of Sunnyville, Florida. Silly antics and H.G. Lewis-style gore follow the survivors in this Camp Super 8 epic. Uh, It looks like it was released straight to video uh, (laughs) back in 84. Directed by Tim Ritter and starring uh, Kathy O'Hanlon, Patrick Foster, and Todd Nolf. If any of those names mean anything to any of you, yeah. Um, yeah, please please put it in the in the show notes. Um, sure. Not available on YouTube either, by the way. No, and it doesn't look like I'm just looking at. Uh, oh, okay. I'm just looking at the trivia on uh, IMDb. Writer director Tim Ritter worked as a dishwasher at a local restaurant in order to raise the money needed to make this film. <laughs> He's like Eminem. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, and he did uh, write the screenplay for it as well, based on a story by Joe Prayoff. I don't know what this last name is, but anyway. Um, yeah, so this, and it was, uh, apparently released on video on Halloween, uh, Halloween day, 1984. Nice. Good. So, and that's all I have to say about it because I have not seen it. I love the premise. It's a shame that it's, uh, you know, kind of, <laughs> it, it sounds like it's, it's not very good from everything I've well, read it's, about it's, it. Well, no, it's funny because on IMDb it has a 6.8. Well, let's see how many people rated it. Oh, never mind, Only 45 people. Yeah, and, <laughs> that's, 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 and they were the production crew. Like, <laughs> the, 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 now the tagline is very interesting. The Reaper is coming. Pray he kills you first. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> that really doesn't make I'm much sorry. sense. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> but a good try, guys. E for effort, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right. Or A for effort. Anyways, okay, so that was Dr. Chuck. Uh, what do you got for 1984, Wolfman Josh? Well, I've got one that I'm actually not going to talk about too much because we're saving it for our Christmas episode this year. But uh, this is maybe the reverse of Silent Night, Deadly Night. In this film, a uh, detective from Scotland Yard is stalking a killer who kills Santa Clauses. It's <laughs> called uh, Don't Open Till Christmas. <laughs> and it's billed as from the producers of Pieces. Uh, it's mm. uh, The director is actually an actor who had a part in Pieces. Uh, the Dean in uh, in pieces is the director of uh, Don't Open Till Christmas, but cool. this is one that yeah I'm I'm looking forward to talking about very soon for mm-hmm. our Christmas special. Nice, yeah, yeah. I won't open this one until Christmas. That, that's right. <laughs> well done. Another good, another good poster art. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yes. The one with the knife blade, not the one with the the Santa Claus on it. That yes, yes, bad. that one's horrible. That one's horrible. <laughs> So, okay, here's one from 1984. It has two titles, both good. Uh, The first one is uh, Blood Theater, a.k.a. Movie House Massacre. I have not seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I don't know if you guys have, but it's written and directed by Rick Sloan. And the premise is, an old movie house is plagued with a history of unexplained tragedies. It's reopened with a bloody history repeating itself. So there you go. Uh, available on YouTube, and I had seen this years and years and years ago on VHS, believe it or not. And I vaguely remember liking this for some reason, but I can't put a stamp on it because it's been like literally years and years and years ago. But gotcha. uh, it's on my watch list now. Yeah, I remember Greg Amortis. One time it seemed like somebody asked you, um, Greg Amortis, have you seen like every slasher movie? And you're like, I think you said just about. I mean, probably you have, right? Because but, you just yeah, forgotten I a lot. Yeah, I probably have. But going through this list, you have opened my eyes going through names that are popping up, which some of these are stretching being slasher films, honestly. But yeah, I, I've, I've had my eyes enlightened to say that I have not watched all of them, and I'm excited about these episodes you've been doing because it's definitely renewed a new kindling of fire in me to go out and watch <laughs> these. And uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm loving this episode. So this uh, this director did a lot of kind of really cheesy cheesy movies, and as far as I know, this is more of a a spoof than it is actually a, a slasher film, but um, but I love the premise. The premise mm. is great. Yeah. I'm just looking here uh, on IMDb. One of the one of the uh, viewer responses here is that um, this is a sleazy horror spoof uh, where many bizarre murders take place. I.e., quote, popcorn to death in the popcorn <laughs> machine, which sounds a little troll too to me. It sounds a little troll too. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I like that. Good reference. Okay. All right. So that was mine. And uh, we're back to Greg Amortis. What do you have for 1984, sir? Uh, how about earn a higher degree in terror? 
You say, what is it? Splatter University. <laughs> and I'm actually holding the DVD in my hand right now. <laughs> uh, top of the class in slasher flick terror, it says. Um, I would not say that, but uh, Splatter University <laughs> tells a story of a twisted psychopath who escapes from asylum and brutally mutilates young co-eds. Such an original story. I've never heard anything like this. Uh, the killer lurks everywhere, on and off campus, and no one knows when and where he will strike again. A student couple goes to the local drive-in for some fun and receives a bloody death instead. A female teacher is viciously mutilated beyond recognition. One pretty victim is actually sliced up like a piece of meat. Another innocent young woman, Julie, senses that the terrible evil behind the killings is very near. She begins piecing clues together on her own since everyone else at the school is more concerned with partying than tracking down a maniac. Soon she learns the horrendous truth and pays a heavy price for her discovery. In an exciting, action-filled climax, the killer relentlessly pursues his last victim. Will he be stopped? Will Julie survive the ultimate test? Prepare yourself for an unleashing of terror that is beyond anything you could possibly imagine. Uh, that's on the back of the DVD box, by the way. <laughs> Great write-up. Does not live up to the movie itself, but <laughs> I, will say, I will say this. I will go and say that there are some pretty decent kills in this one. There is some blood. Um, the plot, there again, is nothing original or mind-blowing. has been done a gazillion times, but the killer was pretty good in this one, and it did have a decent story. It's, it's kind of your... Uh, even if you could say this cheaper version of a Roger Corman film, which is really getting into the ultimate deep, a cheap Roger Corman film. (laughs) Roger Corman would look Hollywood to this one. I'm telling you, uh, (laughs) but it is still a decent watch, man. I, I, I don't know why I've liked this one, but I do. And I don't know why, but, uh, yeah, but it's stretching for, for being a great film, but I like it. This one is streaming uh, with a subscription on Amazon Prime. So for yes. Prime users, check that one out for free. Absolutely. Okay. Check it out, man. It's, it's worth the watch so you can sit back and see how you can make a, a $5 film look kind of decent. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Okay. Well, uh, so here's, here's what we should do since it's getting kind of late into the episode. And we still need to talk about 1985. Uh, we got both of our feature reviews uh, done and we better not forget to mention a mm-hmm. night a nightmare on elm street mm-hmm. of course All right right which mm-hmm. um which i know wolfman josh isn't 100 percent comfortable with referring to this as a slasher but have you come around on that josh or do you still feel that way i mean if we're talking about terminator as a slasher i feel like <laughs> yeah yeah uh, you, you can't leave nightmare on elm street off yeah no, i'm okay I'm, with that i mean it's not this is not what I think of when I think slasher because of the supernatural element, but you know, we're under the big umbrella of slashers at the moment, I think with our 80 slasher episode. And so, yeah, I'm okay with it. Let's do it. And, um, we reviewed these between episodes 70 and maybe 74, I mm. think. And we covered the entire, uh, nightmare on Elm street franchise, but you can hear our takes on those films in depth. I think we talked about the first movie for like a full two some hours. So wow, yeah. it was oh. kind of nuts, actually. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so Nightmare on Elm Street. 
slasher flick from 1984. And uh, I'll just run down through these. If anybody has any comments, I'll just kind of throw out the titles. Maybe a brief premise. If you have any comments, jump in, okay? Um, there's one called... A lot of these I got from our, our, our friend uh, Captain Cracker's site. We've got one called Deadline. As a, Available on YouTube. On YouTube. Okay, that's good. I, I love that you're telling me those. That's excellent. That's a very useful service, Greg Mortis. It is. <laughs> you got a, a, a struggling screenwriter who is uh, basically uh, having a mental breakdown, and he's losing it. Then you got one called Fatal Games, which is probably best known for its javelin-throwing madman, right? Yes. Available on YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> You're making me so happy with that. Uh, according to your friend, Captain Cracker, which I, I looked this up because you've been mentioning so much, and I realized, oh, I, I used this site for research on the first episode. So thank you, Captain Cracker. You've been a nice resource for us. <laughs> it says that the Falcon Academy of Athletics, dedicated teenaged athletes are brutally murdered by a javelin-throwing madman. Mm-hmm. And the poster looks incredible. It's got a hand clutching a gold medal dead on the ground with blood on it. And then if you click on that link that he's got, it takes you to the IMDb. DB page. Another poster looks amazing. So two great posters already. <laughs> and uh, this IMDB synopsis says a mad javelin thrower kills teenagers at the school. All promising athletes are executed in the most brutal way, especially naked girls in dressing rooms and saunas. So <laughs> it really sounds hard to go wrong with this film. Um, <laughs> it's a instant classic. Yeah, sure. I have to check this one out. I mean, yes. Right. All right, buddy. You got it. And then there's one called Murder Rock and in some place. Death. Yeah, Dancing Death. Yeah, you got a mysterious dance hall. Directress is assisted by a shady male model in revealing who the killer is. It's murdering the top dancers with a giant pin. P-I-N. Yes. What is that Available about? YouTube. It's, it's a weird movie, man. Very weird. But it is on YouTube. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Now, this, this one really interests me. I'd like to track this down. It's called The Prey, mm-hmm. and it's uh, six campers golfed on a scenic spot in the woods where they're stalked by a ghoulish killer who's searching for the perfect mate. <laughs> That's great. Dude, it is on YouTube, and I watched a little bit of this uh, the other day, and I've got to say, man, it actually had me very interested, but I ran out of time. Um, but yeah, I think everybody should check this one out. I'm definitely got it on my to-do list. Okay. Um, I'm putting it there too then. And then you got scream for help. No one believes the teenage girl when she starts to realize that her stepfather is trying to kill her and her mother. This was a straight to video release. Available on YouTube. (laughs) Okay. This is awesome. And then you got one called Silent Madness. Due to a computer error, a psychopath is released from a mental institution and returns to the site of his original killing spree where he stalks sorority girls on a camping trip. Nice. Guess what? Available on YouTube. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I love it. All right. Now, um, do you guys, it came up on some lists. Um, how do you feel about Chud, C-H-U-D being in there? I really did not think that. Well, I wrote it down because it was on a list, but I yeah. don't agree with that. 
Yeah, I know. It's hard. Once we've opened the gates to Terminator, Jay, it's like, it's anarchy. <laughs> it's anarchy! <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then uh, Children of the Corn, you know, evil kids borderline. type That's slasher. Borderline. Mm. Borderline, yeah. It's, it's definitely a hybrid. And then you got, uh, there's one called uh, Dark Side of Midnight from 1984. Um, evil Judgment. There's a documentary that came out in 1984. It's not strictly a slasher, obviously, because it has a lot of highlights. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Maybe we'll talk about it later in a future episode, but it's called Terror in the Isles compilation of yes. some horror and other stuff. And we talked about Dark Side of Midnight already. Okay, so um, anyways, that kind of wraps up with uh, 1984. And now let's move into 1985. Now the Captain Cracker... He, he called this the leftovers of 1985. And I really got the uh, drift, at least from his website, that he was really feeling like the, the slashers were starting to dry up by 1985, even though there are more all the way through, even into the 90s. But right here is where they start to dry up, according to him. He said, all in all, 1985 was a less than remarkable year for slashers. 84 had marked the end of the golden age of slasher films, an era of horror films that ran from 78 through 84. I might even start mm. earlier on that date, just saying. I know Greg Amortis wouldn't. And much like you would expect, 1985 put out a limited number of releases in the slasher market, most of them being leftovers made before the fall of the golden age. <laughs> so, anyways... Let's jump right into it. Uh, Greg Amortis, what do you want to talk about for 1985? Um, why not do my feature review? Let's just kick it right off the bat with my review. <laughs> the From 1985, from Buddy Cooper, his only film, and it's called The Mutilator, a.k.a. Fall Break. What do you say? Four days of R&R at the beach. I'm in. She's in. I'm in. Sounds good to me. I got a bad feeling about this. They thought their vacation would be fun. They were wrong. Dead wrong. He's what's called a trophy hunter. Boom, 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 boom. Dad used to tell me that he'd hunted everything but man. I saw this poster when you said you were reviewing it, and I thought, I have got to see this movie. Yes. And I didn't get around to it this week. I'm kicking myself because I this looks incredible. This movie fell into obscurity very quickly, like to the point that like elements were missing. Arrow Video has released this on Blu-ray this year and did such an amazing job. Buddy Cooper and some of the people actually were able to, because Buddy had literally fallen off the face of the earth. And Kenny Caperton and some others actually sought him out and brought him out of the woodworks and got him really pumped up saying, dude, your movie is awesome. And he's like, really? And it, it kind of <laughs> renewed a fire to the point that Arrow Video gets a hold of the elements. They make this Blu-ray, which is there again, absolutely beautiful. Uh, lots and lots of lots of bonus features. Uh, but yeah, the mutilator, um, 
We'll, we'll just read off the back of the Blu-ray box. But I think right here, first of all, I'll read on the back of it. It says, although the slasher film was in decline in the mid-1980s, there were still some grisly delights to be had, and they don't come much grislier than the writer-director Buddy Cooper's sickening stalk-and-slash classic, The Mutilator. When Ed receives a message from his father asking him to go and lock up the family's beach condo for the winter, it seems like the perfect excuse for an alcohol-fueled few days away with his friends. But no sooner are the teens on the island than they find themselves stalked by a figure with an axe and a hook and an outboard motor to grind. This movie, guys and gals, I've got to tell you, has some of the, I wouldn't say greatest, but really good kills in it. Mm-hmm. And one of the makeup effects artists is Mark Shostrom. Now, a lot of you will know Mark Shostrom's or, you know, from Videodrome, from Evil Dead 2. I mean, this was a big hitter in the 80s. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they were able to bring him on with a very, very, very limited budget. I mean, this is filmed in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. Uh, Buddy Cooper's from there. He was able to get locations basically for free. And, you know, a lot of the actors are are not actors. They're like one of them's gone on to be a lawyer. And it was just people they got for free to come out and make this movie, you know, just to have the movie made. And the acting is not very good in this movie. I'll be straight up honest. It's some really, (laughs) I wouldn't say horrendous acting, but it's not. You know, but that's the way slashers were. You weren't getting Oscar winning nominated, you know, <laughs> acting, but it was believable. But it's the killer in this movie that makes it the whole movie work. It's the whole gaff, that whole big fish hook. There's a scene, uh, <laughs> shall I say, the penetration scene of the hook through the through the woo woo of the lady that comes out that is just so well done, and they spent. <laughs> hours and hours and hours filming this doing different angles and doing different ways to make it look as realistic as possible and it does look real a little bit of nudity in it but (laughs) it's just got that cool little little setup of of these these college students going to a condo on the beach you just don't see many beach slasher films and i don't understand why but this one works yeah, and it worked. I love the buy sword, buy pick, buy axe, buy buy. And there again, <laughs> I think one fault that this movie really had, and it's a minor fault, is is they reveal the killer fairly quickly. And so you kind of know. I, I would love to have had this be more of a who is the killer scenario instead of just going ahead and showing it because yeah. you do. And it's just, I mean, I don't know if I want to spoil it, but anyways. He's not your typical, you know, Michael Myers or Jason where they're kind of become supernatural-esque or demonic that way. You know, they're kind of entities that are supernatural. This is just a human being, but a mean human being with a kill. But, man, this this movie, I absolutely cannot brag enough about it. There again, the Arrow video is just chocked full of of interviews and behind the scenes. And it's got one of the catchiest title theme songs ever it, yeah. it it bleeds like animal house or <laughs> or it bleeds something like porkies or something like that it's it's a fun song it does nothing to do horrifying it's a it's just it's just a fun song fall break man it's so oh god this <laughs> movie's so wow. freaking good you have got to watch it wolf man i'm telling you i think you'll love it 
there's there's that trauma movie Blood Hook, which we're gonna I probably will bring up next week. But mm-hmm. this sounds like what I wish Blood Hook was. You know, like. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. No, highly recommend this one, guys and gals. Love it, love it, love it. I will be doing a set visit of this, and Jay, I'll be sure to send you some pictures and whatnot. Thank you. Hopefully, I can get some cool. video. Kenny's been to it. Kenny Caperton from the Myers House NC. Um, has actually he's pretty close with buddy cooper now buddy actually gave him uh original film sale like the whole canister and everything because kenny like found this dude out of nowhere you know and uh but anyways kenny's been to it several times and i actually messaged him tonight saying hey kenny man i want to go take me up there so i can meet buddy and do all this but buddy has actually came back out he's out on facebook now and different things. You can actually get autographed posters of the mutilator, full posters. Uh, he's hit a few convention circuits, so he, he's getting out there. And there cool. is talks. There has been talks of a mutilator part two now, <laughs> up to wow. 20 years later. Uh, so it. who knows? Let's keep our fingers crossed. I, uh, you tell Buddy I've got a camera. <laughs> hey, I will do that, Wolfman. I promise you. That's right. Yeah, That's awesome, man. That's so cool. I, I love that. Friend of the show, yeah. Kenny Caperton, gets this mm-hmm. movie out to the masses. That's right. so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I back you uh, on this. Uh, I first learned about this from you guys on the best of the 80s and 90s episode. This mm-hmm. came up in your the favorites for 1985. And yes, I it, one of the it's probably most famous, Greg Mortis, right? Wouldn't you agree for the two reasons? The fact that it is a slasher set on a beach, which is cool. Yes. And then that that infamous hook scene, which is just insanity. Oh. This is one time where the, the attempt to get a PG rating on the podcast has actually led to something more offensive than had we just uh, used the more explicit words. Because I think... <laughs> I think fish hook to the hoo-hoo is probably <laughs> one of the <laughs> one of the most offensive things ever said on the podcast. <laughs> but I will say that that scene will go down if if every all the masses seen that scene. Jay, I think you'll agree with me. Mm-hmm. That scene is so intense and so well done and looks so realistic. It's, it's up there with the Tom Savini scenes, man. That mm-hmm. one scene. Yeah. It's that well done. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jason Dragon backs us too on this, Greg Amortis, when his original list that he sent in a few weeks ago, he said, uh, it's funny the way he characterizes this. He says, no film this bad should ever be this darn good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Go into it, though, listeners, knowing the Blu-ray transfer it, they did the best they could. There is some still grain in it, but it's still, I mean, this is a movie that was obscure. So be thankful it's Blu-ray. You get the Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, so yeah, get it, get it. Get it. Cool. What do you rate that one, Greg Amortis? Oh man, for a slasher film, because the unit, I would go like an eight, five on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 8.5. Yeah. And for me, uh, like it's, it's probably like, oh, it's about a, a seven-ish, mm-hmm. <laughs> 7.5, somewhere in yeah. there. But yeah. I'm buying this. I'm buying this tonight. I mean, you need guys- to buy it, Wolfman. I promise. <laughs> and Wolfman, if you don't like it, I will buy that copy from you. I can already tell I'm going to love this. I, I, I just the Arrow video. <laughs> Yeah. DVD alone sounds like my cup of tea. So. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. 
All right, thanks, Greg Morris. That was an excellent choice for your feature review. That's The Mutilator from 1985, also known as Fall Break. Okay, Dr. Shock, what do you have for 1985? All right, I'm going to go with the movie here again. I'm not going to hit do a heavy hitter, and I'm not going to go to my future review just yet. I'm going to do a movie. Uh, looks like another straight-to-video <laughs> um, from 1985 called The Ripper. Mm. Oh, good choice. Uh, it is an old antique ring, turns a college professor into a homicidal maniac. When he puts it on, the ring originally belonged to Jack the Ripper. See, that's why he just stopped all of a sudden. He took that ring off. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And looking at some of the things here, it was directed by uh, Christopher Lewis, mm-hmm. stars Tom Shear, Mona Van Pernis, and Wade Tower. Oh, there is some trivia, too. You don't always get that with some of these things. Oh, um, Tom Savini has a small role in it, too, because the first thing on trivia is Tom Savini is embarrassed by his involvement with this film. <laughs> he did uh, a lot of the makeup effects of this one. Did he? Okay. Oh, that's interesting. You have obviously seen this, Greg. Yeah, I actually own this one. Okay. And how does (laughs) how does how do his effects rate against some of his other work? There, the there are a couple of really amazing. And when I say amazing, I'm talking like there is a scene. You know how if you know the Ripper story, which I think majority of everybody does, the true story or whatever. But Mm -hmm. there is a scene, one scene in particular, where uh, from the torso up there's kind of a blade cutting and it is like a, a slicing that will really is cringeworthy. Um, so yeah, that's pretty darn graphic, but the feel of this film is it, the way it was shot. I don't know what kind of camera work they were doing, what kind of camera, but I don't know. It just, it, it throws you off watching this movie. It really does. It's, I don't know, uh, but is it is it a great film? No, but I do have it. It's on a. I think I've got like a three pack. It's a three pack DVD of, and I think it's called the Ripper Pack or the Blood Pack or something like that. And this is, like I said, in there. Um, mm, yeah, this one's tough, brother. <laughs> this one's tough. Oh, okay. As <laughs> okay. a tagline of "From Out of a Dream, He Returns to Stalk the Living." <laughs> there you go. All some right. some of these so taglines. <laughs> oh yeah, they they put a lot of time into these things, and I guess it meant something back then. I don't know what the hell they're talking about now, but the, the, back then it meant a lot. I guess I think, wow, that's awesome. It's uh, hilarious. So that's that's uh, yeah, the Ripper from uh, 1985. There you have it. Okay, thank you. And and I, I misspoke. Tom Savini did not. It was actually Beck Taylor and Kirsten Vesey. But I think Tom Savini had something to do. He's, with. He has a star, He has a small role in it. He play. Yeah. He has a. He plays a part in it. Yes. They didn't give him, but I really, honestly, have read somewhere. I know that he kind of gave guidance on some of the the gore. I don't see how he couldn't have. I mean, at this point, right. especially in the in the eighties and. In a movie like this, uh, I'm sure he did it to, to some degree. They would have went to him and said, hey, how do we do this here? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The one, like I said, the body rip, man, was definitely Tom Savini-esque. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Shock. And uh, that brings me to Wolfman Josh. What do you got for 1985? Well, I just want to say about 1985, kind of like what I said about 84, although this is maybe the slasher on the decline, this is still... A top-notch year for horror cinema. 
We've got Fright Night, Reanimator, Return of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, Silver Bullet, mm-hmm. oh. Stuff, which I like a lot. Um, yes, <laughs> you would. Wow, that's a great <laughs> movie. Hills Have Eyes 2. Mm-hmm. We're talking, uh, we've got The Howling 2 with the aforementioned uh, Sybil Danny in there. Yes. And uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, Demons, 1985. I mean, yes. this is yep. a great yep. year for horror cinema. So I'm going to talk about one of the worst movies of that year uh, <laughs> by, by a director that I like, but this is just a terrible uh, entry for him. And this is Wes Craven's Chiller, which mm-hmm. <laughs> is nearly unwatchable. I mean, um, now I will say that the DVD that I have is one of those kind of like bargain bin DVDs with the really thin case that I don't even mm-hmm. know about it. Like That's a what I have too, yep. Disc or something <laughs> like that. And you can't watch this for free on Amazon Prime right now. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to anyone. <laughs> but um, basically, this this guy is cryogenically frozen, hoping that he can be revived. And um, so uh, we spend some time inside this cryogenically frozen people place and someone thaws let's just say that someone someone thaws out and some kills start happening and uh, paul servino's in this film uh it's not enough to matter to save it Wes craven directing doesn't matter at all but this was a made for television horror movie uh, it was on cbs back in uh, 1985 in may and i don't know what anyone involved with this was thinking it's just it's just not good at all <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Thanks, Josh. Sounds sounds very uh, not fun. Okay. So we got a from 1985. There's a little flick called Horror House on Highway Five, which sounded (laughs) interesting to me when I read the uh, premise on this guy's website. It says while doing a research project, a van full of students stumble across a psychotic family. One is a Nazi doctor, one a necrophile, and one a murderer wearing a Richard Nixon mask. Available mm-hmm. on DVD. Mm-hmm. It's also on Amazon Prime Video. It sounds very much influenced uh, by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I see guys on IMDb, though, the rating is 3.7, which is quite low. Um, and I also saw that there is a, a house... Horror House on Highway 6 film from 2014. Actually, that came from a Dan, oh, was it Midnight Releasing or their other brand, Damage Something. I own that one. I got a screener of it. And yeah, it's, it's unbearably hard to watch, dude. Really bad. Do you mean five or six? Six. Oh. The, the one that you said, the sequel to it, it's yeah. horrendously, horribly shot. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So this first one from 85 sounds rough, too, then. Mm-hmm. And and for those who are gluttons for punishment, there's even, I see you release direct-to-video, The Return of Horror House on Highway 5 from this year, 2016, I guess. So. There you go. So what a, that's weird. All right. What do you got, uh, <laughs> Greg Amortis? Uh, I, I would not be able to not mention this as I do Italian horror on Land of the Creeps now. And this is one that we will be reviewing very soon as we're going to be getting into our Dario Argento's. Uh, this one's 
God, dude, what can I say about it? But uh, anyways, film called Phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dario Argento. Mm-hmm. This stars uh, Jennifer Connelly, very young. Uh, young girl in this one. You got uh, freaking Donald Plaisance. Hello. <laughs> Need not say anymore. That's the mic drop right there. Donald Plaisance. Hear that? Bam. That's the mic drop. Done. Uh, <laughs> this is the young girl with an amazing ability to communicate with insects is transferred to an exclusive Swiss boarding school where her unusual capability might help solve a string of murders. That's off IMDb. Uh, 6.9 on their Richter scale. Um, this one I've not seen in a few years, so I'm really looking forward to rewatching this one, uh, when we get into our Italian horse out of Dario Argento. So, uh, I do remember really, really enjoying this one, but I don't know. I just, I need to really go back and, and do a good viewing of this one, but that will be coming up on the land of the creeps episode really soon. Uh, but yeah, phenomena. It holds up pretty well. So I, I back you on that and I love Jennifer Connelly who does yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Very beautiful woman. And there again, this this is the mic drop. Yeah. There you go. Mic drop. Donald Place. That's all you got to say. Well, and, and one of the, I mean, a couple of good kills, actually. One of the first kills is, is uh, pretty good. So um, not bad at all. So I back you, Greg Mortis. Thank you. Nice. Okay. And, and if I, I, as soon as I track this down on their website, I'll link that in the show notes in case people want to hear a review of it. So. All right, that's Greg Mortis, and what do you got, Dr. Shock, for 1985? All right, 1985, I'm going to go to one that we was discussed on our movie podcast before, but I don't believe I was part of that discussion, and that is A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, mm-hmm. yes. um, where this one, uh, it's about a teenager uh, and his family. They move into the house on Elm Street that once belonged to the Thompsons, uh, who were tormented by Freddy Krueger, um, uh, who uh, attacks, as everyone knows from the first movie, attacked victims as they slept, invading their dreams and uh, turning them into nightmares. But uh, what he does this time around um, is that he wants to, uh, in this film, Freddy Krueger is looking to enter the real world. He's looking to use this teenager uh, to sort of um, bring his horror to the real world. And I got to say, I was not, um, that's part of what I didn't really like about this movie, mm-hmm. was that Freddie, when he's running around, like I'm thinking of that scene by the pool, where he's running around killing people, he's just not as effective. Uh, he, he's just sort of this this regular guy who who can be hurt and, and yeah. it's not he's not the Jason or the the Michael Myers when it comes to that stalking serial killer. And I don't think that worked as well, you know, bringing him into the real world. And, and I think that, um, you know, and there are other things about this movie. Um, some consider it the first uh, sort of openly gay horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some of those scenes like there's one that uh, takes place at an S&M bar where um, he runs into his teacher and, you know, a lot of times in, in, in that sort of situation, in any other sort of movie of, of this ilk, when um, you have a scene set there and, and, a, and a student runs into his teacher there, the teacher would be like, oh, well, you know, be all sort of taken aback. But that's not what happens in this case. The teacher's almost like, yeah, I'm here and you shouldn't be here. And now I'm going to punish you for it. Um, <laughs> and I kind of thought that was interesting, that, 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 that they took that approach to it. Um, 
and, and in that regard, I, I thought it was. I thought I thought those aspects of it were kind of interesting, but I didn't like the whole real world um, Freddy Krueger uh, killer. I just don't think. And I, I like that by the time the third movie came around, they put him back into the back into the dream and nightmare world where he belongs. Yeah, they did humanize him in this one, which is what I didn't like. I did like Robert Russler in this one, though. Robert from Weird Science and uh, Stephen King. Sometimes they come back. Some movies like that. I liked his character in it. And I didn't mind Mark Patton's character, the the uh, main character in this one, other than Freddy. But I felt like they, they saw the success of Freddy in number one being comedic one-liner that they kind of tried to get it into more of that element, and I thought it was not well done on that end. Mm, that's where the series kind of goes downhill for me, is just how jokey mm. he gets, and yeah, that bugs me. But I still think this second installment is still fairly solid. So what do you say, Wolfman? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, I actually, people who heard our franchise review will know I was had never been a fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, and I was kind of coming to them to review them as someone who was pretty skeptical but I was consistently, for the most part, surprised by how not only watchable the films were, but how interesting they were and all of kind of the subtext and everything that was going on with them. They kept me, although I was mostly miserable during our, refi- our review, um, <laughs> they kept me entertained and I was, I don't know, what's the word for it? I was mentally challenged (laughs) 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 by the films clearly based on how i'm speaking tonight um but yeah i just wanted to say so we reviewed this on episode 71 and uh jay gave it a six instead of rental i gave it a five instead of low priority rental and chris robos gave it a five instead of rental and dave was not on that episode so Mm -hmm. check that out hmp 71 yes thank you okay all right, and that was Dr. Shock. And what do you say, Wolfman Josh, for 1985? Oh, is it my turn again already? Uh, <laughs> 1985, I'm going to go ahead and knock out another of the heavy hitters mm-hmm. since we're, we're going to keep this going. Um, and I'm going to just talk about the terrible, terrible film that is Friday the 13th, The New Beginning. This is, again, one that we've covered on the show. And I know, I think Dave hates this more than anyone I've ever met. Yeah, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I remember. This is another one that I was pretty open-minded to. I I, I gave it a four and called that a low-priority rental. (laughs) But, um, you know, and so did Jay, actually, it looks like. But it's... It's interesting in kind of the way that Halloween 3 is, although that's a much better film, I think this is interesting to look at as kind of a standalone film from the franchise. Of course, it's the only one other than the first one that doesn't include Jason Voorhees as our main killer. Mm -hmm. But I think what they do here is pretty fun as a standalone slasher. Like If I was going to take it on its own as an 80s slasher, I don't think it's that bad, like amongst the crowd of 80 slashers. I think it's only thinking about it as a Friday the 13th film that really elevates the terribleness of the movie. I think otherwise it's, it's a pretty middle of the road 80 slasher. So I think it's worth checking out at least once, but yes. Yeah. Uh, that was reviewed on horror movie podcast episode 44. <laughs> part of our <laughs> Friday the 13th franchise review. All right. Yes, thank you. Okay, here's one, you guys, that can go along with um, uh, one from 1984, The Rocktober Blood 
from mm-hmm. 1984 one. Okay. Well, there's one called Blood Tracks from 1985. It's yes. about a, a film crew producing a rock music video that decides to shoot in an abandoned factory above the snow line. But when an avalanche strands them, a murderous family living inside the f- factory attacks. Greg wow. Mortis, have you seen this one? I skimmed through this one as well, uh, available on YouTube, by the way, as well as The Ripper, uh, just saying it. Um, yeah, this one, when I was skimming through it, I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to like this one too well, just because some of the music even didn't sound kind of like what I wanted. But there again, I, it's, I've got it saved in my my watch list, so I will give it a watch, but I don't remember this one, no, sir. Okay. All right. Just, just wondered. But I think it's interesting, right? Like, what is it about having these rock music type horror movies it was just the time you know in the 80s years yeah it was Mm -hmm. the hair bands back then so they were capitalizing off the popularity of of your hair bands why not do it you know yeah trick-or-treat you know came out you know with ozzy osbourne gene simmons and that crew you know the story of sam kerr sammy kerr uh which is a great film but shot here in wilmington north carolina by the way plug plug um but (laughs) uh, i don't know about block track so yeah i don't okay gotcha thank you all right and uh what do you have then greg amortis for 1985 uh, another film that I had not heard of, but I wanted to say it just because I like the title of it. Um, the blue man, not to be confused with the blue group, uh, <laughs> the blue <laughs> man, group, uh, AKA eternal evil, um, dissatisfied Montreal director of TV commercials is taught to Australia project himself by a mysterious woman, but soon he finds, uh, he, that he does it against his will when he sleeps. And while he does it, he commits savage acts uh, those in his life, and this is this got Karen Black in it. Um, from what I've been reading reviews, because I've not seen this one, directed by George Mahalka, uh, Mihalka, I guess M I H A L K A. Uh, some of the reviews were like, "This is such a good plot concept." So why, oh why, is it such a poor film? Acting is terrible, and every shock is blah blah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, but I just wanted to say it because of the name it is on YouTube. The Blue Man, a.k.a. Eternal Evil, and I love Karen Black, so why not? I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah, That well, the title, that that's kind of a creepy, I don't know why that's creepy to me, but, and it's on uh, Amazon Prime as well. You can watch it on Prime, I guess. Ooh, I'll watch it on Prime. It'll probably be better than YouTube. Okay. You Two got it. posters that are both pretty interesting that I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Eternal Evil one looks really cool with the woman's head, I guess would be Karen Black, and that one's pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm, totally agree. Okay, uh, Dr. Shock, what do you have for 1985? Well, I think it's time to move into my feature review of the Nail Gun Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of the greatest titles ever. Yeah. Ever. Peaceful town somewhere in America. Justin, put that thing down! Now, 
the movie opens with a bang. I mean, it, it, it'll hit you over the head. It opens with a rape. As soon as the fade from black, it comes up. There's a gang of construction workers dragging a woman out into not a field. It's like a, they're working on this house out like sort of behind this house they're working on and they rape her. Now, it's not uh, it's a bad attack, but it's not too bad because she her clothes stay on the entire time. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me how they rape her, but they do. It's not um, or anything. What's that? It's not like I spit on your grave or anything. No, no, no. It's nothing mm-hmm. like that. She's fully clothed through the whole thing, but she mm-hmm. she's raped. Uh, then it cuts to from there. It cuts to a scene. It's interesting because it cuts the scene. There's this woman out hanging um, laundry, and the smoke just blows through like a fog is what they're trying to do. You know, it's coming from a fog machine, <laughs> but it just sort of blows through and then it's gone. And then the scene picks up. Um, you know, she's got a, a young child there. Well, then we go inside the house. One of the construction workers, this guy named Larry, is getting ready for work. And he's upset with his wife because his shirt isn't ready. And he's sort of yelling at her. Um, but he's like, I know you can hear me and everything. Meanwhile, we go back out. You can't hear anything because she's so far away from the house. She doesn't know what's going on. But at the same time, you see this sort of strange figure standing behind her, dressed in camouflage and wearing a biker's helmet. <laughs> um, that you know, sort of jumps into view there. Wife doesn't doesn't notice it, and this this individual just sort of sidesteps her, goes around her, makes a beeline straight to the house, walks inside, um, and it's it's armed with a nail gun and opens fire on poor Larry, hitting him several times, including once in the forehead. Uh, Jay, you're going to like this because every time the killer makes a kill, he has a witty one-liner. Mm-hmm. And yeah. his witty one-liner for this one is, aren't the worst headaches right between the eyes? Yeah, pain- <laughs> painful. Yeah. Um, and at that point, we cut to the open credits. The, now, the credits, it's interesting because there's no music. It's just a creepy sort of echoey laugh. And it's the killer's. And we assume it's the killers because we kind of heard it a little bit at the end of that of that uh, sort of pre-title sequence there, or pre-title sequences. There's a couple of them. Um, I really liked the way this movie opened. It got it off to a really good start. It's from that point on that things start to suffer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing is, is an unknown killer. He's, he's got a nail gun and he's stalking the people in the small Texas town. Uh, going after the construction workers, uh, their girlfriends, and pretty much anyone who happens to pass in front of them. The local sheriff, uh, he doesn't know what's going on, and the town's doctor, played by a guy named Rocky Patterson, you know, they're, they're, they don't they uh, have no idea, you know, who's doing this or or what's going on. But the bodies are piling up, you know, quite quite a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people who turn up, you know, uh, nailed in this movie, so to speak. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because the doctor looks nothing like a doctor. He goes pulling up in a sports car and he gets out wearing a jean jacket and, and uh, or a denim jacket and jeans. Um, and that's the most doctor-like he looks throughout the movie. Um, but uh, they're trying to determine who the mass psychopath is. Um, and the bodies are just piling up. Um, you know, and, and they start to wonder who is this and, and can he be, who is this killer and can he or she be stopped? Um, I like I said. Aside from the opening, um, I can't say the Nail Gun Massacre is a, is a particularly good movie. Mm-hmm. There are things about it that that it does get right. And the killer is one thing. I liked the killer. I liked the costume he wore. Um, 
the one-liners aside, uh, it, it's it's a menacing. It's and it, the, the killer itself himself is menacing, and and the weapon of choice is one that that's got to get you. I mean, those nail guns. You know, you got to think about these things like firing out at you. Um, mm-hmm. And he fires. Uh, he or she fires a lot of these things. Um, the killer drives around in a yellow hearse. You got to like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's uh, that, that that would I would think a killer driving around in a hearse uh, maybe cut out a little bit of time there. Um, the kills they're they're not what I would say are very graphic, but they're gory enough. You know, you, mm-hmm. you kind of see enough for a low budget movie. It's very low budget, and I thought that that sort of graininess helped it as well. I thought it worked to the movie's advantage. Um, there's nudity in it uh, quite a bit actually of uh, of nudity in this movie. Um, but unfortunately, where where the problems I had with it, uh, the acting is bad across the board. Okay, but it's a low budget movie, and then you, I guess you kind of that's nothing new. The dialogue is a little strange. There's a scene where they they find um, this hitchhiker um, had been killed. A fun, oddly enough, he was only looked like shot in the arm. Okay, he was shot in the arm with the nail gun, and the killer was going to leave him alive, but ends up dead in the middle of the road. And there's a truck driver who found him and called the police and the truck driver standing there and as the cop is walking up the truck driver makes a comment i don't know exactly somewhere something along the lines of well if this isn't a horror movie then it's one heck of a biker's revenge <laughs> and the cop uh, responds there are no bikers in this county just law-abiding citizens as he's standing over the body of the fifth person to die in two days mm. he makes a comment like that um <laughs> I don't. I didn't. Also, wasn't a big fan of um, the the story itself. It started off pretty well, where you had you know these construction workers and they're being stalked, but then it just sort of became like anybody who walked in, anybody who happened to be blowing through town, everybody, anybody who happened to, you know, uh, walk down the road. Um, they were just sort of introduced, and they were introduced strictly for you know the killer to uh, to go after. Um, the scenes ran a little long, some of them by like a moment or two, some of them by a couple of minutes mm-hmm. went on too long. Probably the worst thing about the movie though, was the sound quality. Um, it was really, really bad. There's a scene at a roadside restaurant. Um, and this sort of the, this, uh, just a little aside this guy brings a girl there and he, the, the waitress is a girl he was dating. And I guess he dumped, you can't hear half of what's going on because it's by a highway and the cars are just blowing by like loudly and you can't hear some of what people are saying in that scene and that goes on throughout the movie sometimes even, there, there's even no like, adr in this film right Doc? no no and and there's uh, I, I laughed at one point because they're out in the woods looking at one of the killers and also you hear shots ring out you know there's hunters there because you see one of the guys sort of turn around um, but you hear all these shots ringing out uh, in this scene, and it's, it's because there's hunters in the, in the nearby woods. In, in real life. Shot on loca- in real life, real yeah. hunters out there. They right. they weren't about to stop for this little low-budget movie. Right. Um, uh, it's one of those things like uh, creative kills uh, with, with the nail gun. If you like that, and you sort of had a tolerance for um, the lower end of the spectrum um, as far as production values, I don't think the nail gun Massacre will be the worst movie you've ever seen. Um, but I don't think it's going to be the best either. Mm. You know, it's funny because I wanted to uh, rating this. 
I was tempted to just go right down the line and give it a five. Mm-hmm. I think really I should go with a four. Do you think we're, uh, and I don't know, we've, we've kind of touched on this. Is there something about just this whole sort of 80s slasher where we might be a little more lenient on these sort of movies than we would any other type of horror movies? <laughs> yes. Because I was thinking about that. I, was I thinking agree. About this should probably even be maybe a 3.5 or something and maybe an right. avoid, but I was going to give it a five and a low priority rental. Mm. Um, this is and, a- and just... <sighs> It's a great point, Dr. Shark, because really, I mean, what we're looking for is how how it executes the conventions. And one of the yeah. obviously the most novel thing about this, you got the title and the fact that <laughs> the killer is using yeah. a nail gun. Right. Exactly. Right. 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 And um, I mean, there's no other subgenre where you would allow this horrendous of acting to go by. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, most right. slasher films, not all, but a, a majority of the 80s slasher films was some of the most horrendous acting. But it worked because it seemed realistic. Be- so. Because what you're going in looking for are the kill scenes. Kills and nudity. Creative kill scenes. And, 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 yeah. and you're watching, yeah, you're just watching. You have, there's a different set of uh, criteria that you're looking at here. Sure. Even, even Ebert, when he reviewed Dressed to Kill, I believe it was, which he loved, as I mm. recall, um, he was saying things about that film, like, you know, it's more style than substance, but, you know, it's so amazing to look at. And, and you know, it's not about narrative. It's about, you know, all these ele- other elements. And that's, I think that's a legitimate way to enjoy a movie. I don't think you have to enjoy every movie in this, you know, under the same criteria or whatever. Mm. Right. It's the same exact thing as watching, like, kung fu films, like, like you know, the oh, yeah. martial arts cinema I mean, the acting, the performances, like the voiceover dubbing. I mean, everything, every other aspect is awful except for the actual martial arts, like action. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I mean, it's yeah, a good point. Yeah. yeah, you just go for it. Right. Well, a lot of indie films you're watching because they're doing something dangerous and new and different than in a mainstream movie. And even if you're talking about something, you know, as now that's as familiar as Clerks. You know, you're not watching that movie because the cinematography is great or the acting is great, but the writing was something totally fresh and new at the time and really right. exciting. So, mm-hmm. yes. Well, anyway, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with a five and mm-hmm. say you know it's it's a low priority rental. I mean, Jay, I'm guessing you've seen this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you. I mean, honestly, I'd probably have to say uh, four point five, but <laughs> and it's. And it is a low priority rental. It's a novelty, but I tell you, the thing about it is, <laughs> this is one to bring up because it's a great conversation piece. And just because you have a killer that's using a nail gun, it's like for me with a like a weed eater killer. That, yeah. I mean, I I want that. I want a nail gun mask. Right. And plus, Craig Morris, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> it kind of reminds me. I have a little fondness for it because it reminds me of uh, the toolbox murders a little bit. Not as good. Sure. But, but, well, not well, as much, but it, I can see the comparison, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm totally for, I mean, a nail gun. It is available on Blu-ray with uh, 88 Films, uh, which is a UK-based company, region-free, you know, if you want it on Blu-ray. Huh. But. Yeah, I don't know if either of you, uh, Josh, I'm guessing, I don't think, uh, have you not seen, I don't think you've seen no, this No, I haven't yet, seen right? that one. No. And, uh, Greg, have you seen Nail Gun Master? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've watched it a few times. It's so bad, it's okay. good for me. <laughs> See, that's funny. As some of the critics said that, that, that it's so bad it's good. And yes, you do get moments of that. 
um, especially with the dialogue uh, between the sheriff and the doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sheriff, the sheriff even says to the doctor, hey, how come you don't look like a doctor? And the doctor says, I'm tired of wearing white. <laughs> uh, you, you know, things like that, where they're going to explain, okay, well, here's why we couldn't, we don't Afford have a, a don't have a doctor's <laughs> uniform for him to wear. Let's just say he doesn't like wearing white anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. All right. Well, thanks for your feature review there, <laughs> Dave. That was excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay, Wolfman Josh, what do you have for 1985? Well, I was going to talk about the bad seed, but I'm going to switch it up. And I'm going to talk about Screenplay instead, which is a trauma film directed by Rufus Butler Sater, which is, this is his only film he ever did. Uh, it stars George Kuchar, who is kind of like a cult video artist. He was doing stuff in the New York underground at the same time as Andy Warhol. And a lot of his later life, he did a lot of video art in the San Francisco Academy of Art and our Art Institute or something like that. And so he, he was just a a well-known kind of experimental filmmaker. He wrote movies, he directed movies and he, and he acted and stuff. And this is something he just acted in. Now, I don't know the history of this film, if it was actually produced by trauma or like many of their things just picked up, you know, low budget movies they could distribute, but it's a black and white and a lot of it's really poorly shot. But then there are other times where it feels like almost like you're watching uh, Caligari or uh, and there's a couple moments I feel like you're watching Night of the Living Dead and and the photography is just a little bit more interesting than you would have anticipated you know uh, the basic premise is this and this is just from IMDB a detective investigating a series of murders discovers that they are similar to the slains that occur in the new script of a Hollywood screenwriter which is not an exact premise I can think of, but it's a very familiar premise. Like I feel like there must be many television detective shows that are based on this concept, and it's got a little bit of the eyes of Laura Mars, as you know, we've one we've brought up a lot. Just that kind of thing where, yeah, the person has a novel, a murder novel on Murder Shrew that's very similar to some killings that are taking place. I feel like we just reviewed a movie about this, like during this slasher <laughs> stuff, but yeah. Anyway, it's a fun premise. The The performance is the reason to watch it because George Kushar is so electric and weird and has so much strange charisma. Um, he would be the reason to watch it. This is not going to be for everybody. You have to be open to watching something that's shot like probably on like 16 millimeter, if you were lucky, maybe like eight millimeter film, <laughs> black and white low quality even and i saw this on amazon which is where it's it's streaming for free on amazon it's also available on dvd and blu-ray from trauma but um even on the streaming on amazon hd video and i'm saying that in quotes it just looks awful so um know that but it's worth checking out if you if you're someone who's into experimental film or um don't mind that like the really low production values it's it's interesting and unique and one i'd recommend watching yeah, I actually own that on DVD as well. So yeah, <laughs> nice. nice, cool. Uh, okay, so uh, <laughs> all right. So so here's one, guys. Tell tell me what you think about this. It's called Appointment with Fear, uh, and I guess uh, there's another title uh, that it's known by. Um, it was Deadly Presence, I guess, at one point. But anyways, uh, according to our friend uh, 
which this guy isn't our friend at all yet, but I hope if he ever listens to this, <laughs> he'll, he'll be our friend. Captain Cracker, he says, after knifing a woman to death with his spirit, a comatose mm. serial killer tries to find the woman's infant son, now staying with one of her friends, to kill as a sacrifice to the ancient Egyptian tree god who gives him powers. <laughs> oh, is this the one that was produced by Mustafa Kod? Correct. That's mm, correct. Okay. Yeah. That, doesn't that sound wacky? Sounds incredible. <laughs> it, yeah. it sounds like I need to get it because, you know, Mustafa, Mr. Halloween himself. So, yeah. Yes. An Egyptian god figures into a bizarre murder investigation where <laughs> a suspect uses astral projection yes. to murder at will. I, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it does sound pretty cool. But the, uh, the user reviews on this on imdb says uh what i could gather i I fast forwarded through most of this movie searching for something anything interesting but never found anything a bunch of bland morons stalk around in the dark and some guy lies around in a coma he's possessed by a tree spirit or something mustafa akkad went from halloween to this a complete waste of valuable celluloid That's what he says. Nice. So, there you have it. Okay. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Now, what do you have next there, uh, Greg Amortis? Uh, another one that I have not seen, and I don't know if I could classify this as a slasher because I haven't re- watched it, but it's a movie called The Doctor and the Devils. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I've not seen this because looking at the cast, you got Timothy Dalton, Twiggy, Julian Sands from the Warlock series. You got Stephen Ray. Uh, you've got, um, Patrick Stewart, uh, so pretty big names up in there. So I don't know why I haven't seen it. The only thing IMDb says, as far as a, uh, plot synopsis is grave robbers supply a doctor with bodies to test on, <laughs> um, pretty, I don't know about the poster art on IMDb is kind of, eh, kind of reminds you of Jack Ripper-esque or something weird like that, or, uh, maybe some kind of Vincent Price-esque kind of film, but uh, a man of medicine, a pair of murders, and an unholy alliance. Eh, it, it sounds something like I would probably dig it, because I love Julian Sands and, and some of the cast, so I'll definitely give this a watch, but I know nothing about it, guys. Okay. Interesting. Well, I, I the premise, I don't know, it intrigues me, because it's like, well, what, mm-hmm. what are they going to do with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Grave robbers mm-hmm. supply a doctor with bodies to test on. <laughs> that's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be good. I just wanted to mention one more thing of the film that, that Jay reviewed um, that I just noticed as I was looking at the IMDb page. It's it's an Alan Smithy movie, and apparently <laughs> uh, Mustafa Kod saw the original <laughs> cut of the film fired the director, then reshot and recut the movie. And the director said, Hey, I don't want my name on this anymore. And, uh, yeah, this is actually an Alan Smithy release. <laughs> nice. And that's also a appointment Deborah with fear Vor- is what you're referring yeah, to. Right. Yeah. Okay. And also Deborah Voorhees, uh, is in that film from Friday 15th, <laughs> part five. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Um, what do you have next then? Uh, Dr. Shock for 1985. You know what I, I'm going to cheat a little. I got two of them here, and I'm trying to decide between which one. And I haven't seen either one, so I said, ah, the heck, but I can talk about both of them pretty quickly here. Um, one is called Too Scared to Scream. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just uh, the IMDb says a killer is brutally attacking several tenants in the, that live in a high-rise apartment building in mm-hmm. New York City. What struck me about that was it was directed by Tony Lobianco, uh, who I know mostly as an actor. He was in um, The Honeymoon Killers from 1970, but I really remember him as uh, Sal, the guy who kind of gets the whole, uh, him and his wife get the ball rolling there on the little uh, sort of uh, pizzeria shop in the French Connection, and they're the ones who sort of get the whole thing uh, started with the, uh, uh, with the um, you know, bringing the drugs into the country and whatnot. So uh, it's, he was the director of this movie. Um, I'm not sure how often he directed. Let me look it up. Maybe he directed a lot of movies, but I know he was mostly, um, uh, I'm pretty sure he was mostly an actor. Uh, yeah, no, this is one of only, this is the only movie he ever directed. Other than this, uh, he had done episodes for a TV series, for different mm. TV series like Police Story and Secret Empire and whatnot. Um, and then the other movie I wanted to mention, just because I kind of liked uh, the title, it's Victims. But it's not Victims, because it's Victims! It has an exclamation point <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> and that makes it, says, it different. Absolutely. It says, four young girls on a camping trip in the woods are stalked by a pair of crazed serial killers. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, Jeff Hathcock directed this one. Um, Ava Kaufman, Robert Axelrod, Lonnie Withers, and Ann Richardson star. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, I will say, oh, let me see that. Too Scared one, to Scream did star, uh, did have Murray Hamilton from Jaws, the mayor. Oh, John yes. Post. I did not go into the, um, I didn't go into the cast, yeah. but yeah, the cast looked pretty interesting on that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, victims, there is a tagline here, four girls alone in the, in the desert. <laughs> they all became his victims. <laughs> but it's, it's, what, what, what I like here, though, is that it, the, 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 the IMDb said the woods and the tagline says the desert. So I don't know what it is. I've not seen the movie. Yeah. If anyone has seen it, let me know if it's the desert or the woods. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, thank you, Dr. Shock. Wolfman, Josh, what do you have next? Uh, I'm pretty, basically out of stuff. Have you guys seen Blood Cults, anyone? I haven't, but I was looking that no. up. It looked pretty Night interesting. To- it's available on YouTube. Anybody seen Night Train to Terror? Well, we're I real quick. Seen that one. No. So with Blood Cult, uh, you, you, just can you read the premise real fast for him? Well, well let me do. Let me do the bad seed. I'm gonna. I'll talk about the bad seed really quick, and then somebody. I just was checking because I don't know. I hadn't seen any of these other ones, but I have seen the bad seed. It's been a long time. I, I remember seeing this as a kid. It's got David Carradine, Blair Brown, Lynn Redgrave. So. Decent cast. Uh, basically, it's one of those films with the killer kid, and um, it reminds me of that Macaulay Culkin movie, mm-hmm. the good, the good son, the good yeah. son, yeah, right. Oh yes, <laughs> uh, this is a made-for-TV movie, but um, it, it's. I mean, I remember enjoying this as a kid. I can't imagine that it held up. Uh, just looking at some of the stills, even it looks like it's not shot particularly well or in an interesting way, but I, mm-hmm. I mean, Lynn Redgrave is incredible and, uh, and, uh, you know, David Carradine is David Carradine. So, uh-huh. um, but yeah, I like, I like the, I like the premise that there's been some grisly murders or some, some deaths, I should say. And then this woman has to realize that, uh, her daughter may in fact be 
the reason these things are happening. It's a good premise. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you. And uh, I'll just do, uh, since we're kind of getting late here, I'll do just a couple like, like Doc did. There's one called the New York Centerfold Massacre from 1985. <laughs> and, it, and it looks really sketchy and rough, very rough from the IMDb, but it's about aspiring models in a Soho photo studio. They're aiming for the centerfold and they're getting molested, tortured, and killed by a mysterious perpetrator who hides his or her identity by wearing a cloth bag over the head. So, intriguing mm. title, but if you look at the cover art and you look at the IMDb rating... <laughs> look at the time stamp on it, too. <laughs> yeah, it's like 57 minutes, right? It's pretty right. short. <laughs> so, I bet you that thing is rough. And then, um, there's a... <laughs> This was originally a TV movie, I guess, and it was called Blue Murder, mm-hmm. and it's about a reporter who attempts to track down the maniac that's killing porn stars. Nice. So, so I gotta watch that. Give me a copy of it. <laughs> so there you go. All right, you got a couple to run down there, uh, Greg Mortis. Um. Well, Blood Cult that uh, Wolfman Josh was talking about, you said you wanted the plot. It's female students on a college campus are being killed and their body parts used for blood sacrifices. Oh. Um, directed by Christopher Lewis. I don't recognize anybody in it. I think I do remember Blood Cult. I seen, yeah, <laughs> I think I do remember. I, I'm God, these names run together. I was looking at still images of it. That was one of those that was one of those I kind of – somewhat enjoyed but it's horrible but i enjoyed it because it was horrible <laughs> if that makes sense mm-hmm. uh but uh the other one deadly intruder had that one down and i was trying to remember if i even had seen that one i'm probably have i'm sure but uh chris holder molly cheek stars in it uh and actually that's imdb has it as a 1988 but i found it on a 1985 list so i may be totally off on those hours yeah i uh, saw it as an 85 i saw it as an 85 and it has danny bonaducci yeah from uh, from the partridge family yeah this one i actually watched some of this on um, youtube and actually was kind of decently done a serial killer escapes from a mental hospital and hides out in a small town a local cop must Catch him before he starts on his killing spree. Totally original storyline, man. Never, ever, ever been done before. So, yeah. Of course. <laughs> All right. That's Deadly Intruder. Very good. Thank you. Uh, what do you got, uh, Dr. Shock? 1985. Jeez, I don't know. I, I'm pretty much tapped. I mean, I'll come out, give you one more, but I think after that, I'm pretty much done. I got, uh, <laughs> um, oh, here's one. It's Future Kill. Right. In 1985. <laughs> And I think the best thing about this is it's got Edwin Neal, the uh, the hitchhiker, Heck and man. Marilyn Burns. I take good pictures. Boat. It's a good picture. A good picture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well done. It's really From, good. Uh, so it's got two members of the cast of um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre there. Uh, it's about frat boys lost in the big city while hunted by a violent leader and his elite gang of gun-happy guards. <laughs> there you go. And you know what? This is the one you were talking about with the very similar poster. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, it does have a similar poster. Uh, the other one that I had mentioned in uh, from uh, from eighty eighty four. Doesn't that look close, that. Dave? Yeah, it does. It looks very close from Satan's Blade. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. It looks very close. Uncanny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you. 
Dave, what about you, uh, Wolfman Josh? You got anyone to run down? Um, uh, did we bring up the Terror Tales from Terror Train? Not not that Terror Train. I was waiting on you to do that because that sounds like your kind of movie. I mean, I love train movies. I watched the trailer for this one. I haven't seen it. Um, I couldn't remember if we brought this up on our anthologies episode, but it is an anthology film. And um, the trailer looks incredible. There's a Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray that's out for this movie. Mm-hmm. Are you and, talking uh, about Night Train to Terror? Or? That's the one. Okay, that's okay, gotcha. Night Train to Terror. Okay. Night Town to Terror Train Town. <laughs> <laughs> Night Train to Terror. I gotcha. All right. Five times. Terrific Train. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that that one looks fun. I mean, the 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 trailer seriously looks insane. It looks so goofy. It's got like an '80s pop band, and they're like all kinds of weird sci-fi monsters and stuff. And um, it looks like a lot of fun. I want to check that out. And Vinegar Syndrome is a great company. Uh, they're not, they're you know somewhere under there under Blue Underground and an Arrow Video, but they're they're releasing great content. So I really appreciate them, and that's um, what I'm gonna search out because it looks like fun. All right. Yeah, they did. Uh, they released Graduation Day, so yeah. Nice. There's something about this that just the premise: God and Satan on a train discussing the fate of three individuals. Something yeah. about that just sounds familiar to me. I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen the whole thing, but there's something about it that. Well, did we like talk about it on the anthologies episode or not? Mm, uh, I don't know. Oh. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's it. There's something about this. That's familiar though it's also a tiny bit familiar to the job storyline from the the old testament but um i like the poster that must must be what i'm thinking of yeah it's kind of job like but (laughs) i I do like the uh poster art to this i have to say so beautiful poster art. i love train movies so Mm -hmm. terrific town train massacre is definitely one i'm going to be watching (laughs) here you go i I would love to find a, a a poster uh, supplier who would have all of these sort of 80s uh, slasher posters because that's one of the best things about some of these movies. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. I agree. Are the posters. And in you case- can just get some of that wheat paste and wallpaper your walls with it. Right. Mm. Yes. <laughs> nice. And in case people like, because there is a terrible version of the poster which has like bright glowing yellow letters, which is horrible, but I'm talking about the one where there's a, a, a knife. A knife a, stuck right in the rail. Not a knife, yeah. but a phallic symbol stuck into a railroad track. Just well, kidding. it's a knife. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyways, that's pretty cool. Okay, so just the th- three last tiny quick ones, and that's all I have here, and we can wrap up if you guys are ready. But um, the ones that come down through, there's one called Bits and Pieces. As a psychopath wanders the streets of the city, Beautiful young women fall victim to his deadly mother fixation. <laughs> so yes. there's that. And then there's one called Formula for a Murder. A victim of child abuse grows up physically uh, disabled and is subsequently terrorized by her childhood attacker that she long thought was dead. Yikes. Okay. So that sounds kind of intense. And then they had on the list, and you guys will probably be fine with this but i don't like this movie and it's the original sequel with which is the hills have eyes part two like the original mm-hmm. one i'm not yeah. as much a fan of that that's where you <laughs> right. get a dog that's where the dog has a flashback yeah yeah, yeah. No, i do not, not like mistaken, that yeah i do not like that film because 
it's also like a blend with the dirt bike kid or something. There are way yeah, too many dirt bikes yeah. in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, the premise says years after the first massacre, traumatized survivors return to the hills with a biker team and they must fend off hungry savages. Anyways, not great. Do you guys have anything else for ni- 1985 before we wrap up tonight? Not me. I don't. All right. Well, listeners, if we missed anything significant or insignificant, let us know in the show notes. But I think that just about wraps up episode 103 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you all for listening, and we especially thank Greg Amortis for returning once again. Um, I just want to tell people, honest to goodness, it takes a lot of time to podcast, and Greg already has his own podcast, and the fact that he comes on here for these episodes, which are mega long, and, and I mean, it's just a tremendous sacrifice and commitment on his part. So all I'm asking, all I'm asking is if people haven't checked out Greg's show, haven't followed him on Twitter yet, haven't haven't followed him on Facebook, please do that now. And Greg Mortis, will you tell him all those places and I'll have them linked in the show notes too. I will. And Jay, it's an honor. Wolfman, Doc, of course, man, it's, it's an honor being on. And I can honestly say people are checking this out because I'm getting comments. I'm getting uh, multiple, multiple Facebook uh, ads and requests. So I really appreciate it, guys and gals, stopping by, sending me friend requests and on Twitter. It's been amazing. And I love each and every one of you. Um, man, I love you guys, Jay, of course. But you can follow me uh, at blogspot.com is our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, all that. We just finished episode 148. Dr. Dirty and I uh, looked at some Umberto Lindsay films from 1972, uh, The Seven Blood or- uh, Bloodstained Orchids, and we also looked at 1974's uh, Spasmo. Uh, and then we're getting into some new flicks. This episode 149, which should be out uh, before this comes out, so it should be available uh, looking at two new flicks off of Netflix, so definitely check that out. You can follow me on Facebook, which is under my name, Greg Morgan, or you can go under our Facebook page, Land of the Creeps, or our group page. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Greg Amortis, on Instagram, Greg Amortis. You can email me at gregamortis666 at gmail.com, and I do appreciate all the love that I've been receiving, man. You guys are killing me. With the kindness, man, I swear, <laughs> Jay, you just don't know the messages I've been receiving on Facebook, uh-huh. and uh, it's been heartwarming and not deserved whatsoever. Uh, humbled, and I love it, and thank you. <laughs> I love it. I, I bet I can guess. They're probably along the lines of, thank you, Greg Amortis, for straightening out that idiot Jay of the Dead and fixing like when he talks about Terminator on Slasher's movie. Yeah, it's, right. I wouldn't be so honestly <laughs> been reading my Facebook. <laughs> I know, right. I know. We need we need people like you to come on here and smack me around. Anyways, uh, uh, <laughs> thank you for being here. It's really nice. Yes, and uh, Dr. Shaw, g- give them your plugs and what we'll do, listeners, after Dave tells you where you can catch up with him, um, we're going to let these two East Coast guys go. It's after 2 a.m. for them, and then Josh and I are going to read you the uh, results to the next round of Slasher Madness. So, uh, Dr. Shock, where can they catch up with you? Uh, you can check me uh, check out uh, the blog, www.dvdinfatuation.com. Uh, follow me on Facebook, at DVD Infatuation. 
uh, and I uh, do have a Facebook page. And of course, I am with Greg on the Land of the Creeps podcast, along with with Jesse and Doctor Dirty and and uh, and Chaney Dreadful and uh, all everyone. And it's uh, it's a great time. Come on over and listen to the show. And Haddonfield Hatchet Double H will be oh, making. He's going to be coming back really soon for a few oh, episodes. Oh, good. Yeah, I know he had, he's, he's been he's been uh, sort of out of the mix for a while, but it's good to hear he's coming back as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that guy. He's great. Okay, well, uh, Greg Morris and Dr. Shock, thanks for being here tonight. It was a pleasure, as always. Thank you very much. Thank I'll you. talk to you guys later. Take care. Okay. Later, guys. Have yeah, a good night. See you, Jay. Take care. Nice buddy. talking. Hey guys, I'm Jeff Hammer, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where they're dead serious about horror movies. Okay, Wolfman Josh, we did get the results, and uh, Kagan Breitenbach, who is this kind of sponsoring this slasher madness for us, he wrote an email, and it says, the one election you can depend on. <laughs> yeah. He says, no surprises here. Um, oh, come on. Easy, Kagan. I'm recovering still, buddy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, ready? Uh, Josh, let's put you to the test again. So right. well, I'm picking who I think the winner is based on what I think should win or what I think the winners or the listeners said. Well, um, tell us what you think won. And then if it's different, tell us what you think should have won. Okay. Okay. I think what I think what I think is the correct thing. So I'll just I'll probably just be one choice. <laughs> Naturally. Okay. So here you go. Um, you got Silent Night, Deadly Night versus Friday the Thirteenth, the original. No disrespect to Silent Night, Deadly Night, but it must be Friday the Thirteenth, the original. Correct. There was a huge uh, gap between those two, and then you got Sleepaway Camp Two versus Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, part four. There. There's only one choice in this for me. That would be Friday the 13th part four. Yeah, this is the biggest spread between those two. And then you have Prom Night versus A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Much like our last election, these are two selections that I was not too excited about. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Don't love these candidates, Jay. Oh, man. I need an inspiring candidate is is what I need here. Um, How how many times have I said that in the past (laughs) six months? No, I think it's got, I mean, I love Prom Night, actually. I I like both of these movies. I I really like Prom Night. I think it's got to be A Nightmare on Elm Street. Correct. Yes, it won significantly. Yeah. And then you have, um, this one was interesting. You had <laughs> Friday the 13th part two versus Halloween part four. <laughs> oh man. Come on. You got this. So Kagan says no surprises here. Yeah. And um, I mean, for me, there's absolutely no way the Friday the 13th part two is better than Halloween four. I mean, it's not even what, the same ballpark. Halloween four is way better. I like Halloween four, no question. But man, Halloween I love four is one of those classic Halloween movies. It's good, you but know? Friday the Thirteenth Part it's Two. It's got the feel and the vibe of Halloween. Burl- I don't care for sack bag Jason that much. It's, it's not-, not sack bag. That's disrespectful. <laughs> what is it's it burlap sack, Jason. What's, is there a difference between that and a sack bag? Oh, well, I just I don't I don't think you should call Jason Voorhees sack bag. I don't think he'd well, appreciate hey, that. I am calling him that. If he wants to find me, 
Bring it on. Oh, big man. guy. Oh, man. Uh, no, I mean, look, I like both these movies, of course. Uh, part two is a classic. Um, but I, I mean, for one thing, this is just the nature of these matchups with the way uh, this went. There should not be this many Friday the 13th movies in the finals. I have, I have, I take issue with that. Um, but definitely for me, Halloween for return of Michael Myers edges out uh, Friday the 13th part two and not by a little bit. I mean, I don't know how different my scores are probably only a few points, but if I had to pick one movie to represent slashers, you know, this is it. This is the final movie. People are going to watch slashers. I do not pick. Friday the 13th, I pick Halloween 4. Well, the, the, the voters on this yeah. <laughs> have, have chosen Friday the 13th Part 2. It Sons. Had, it had <laughs> 65% versus Halloween 4, which only got 35%. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Are you kidding me? No, no. And Where's yeah, no wonder you got rid of Greg Amortis before we read these. <laughs> <laughs> I know he would have flipped out over that. He would have been really mad. So Kagan uh, writes, it's official. So We're just down to Fridays and nightmares now. And so the semifinal voting starts when uh, our movie podcast episode 103. That's this one posts when it releases then you'll be able to go on and vote for these matchups here they are josh ready it's friday the 13th part two yeah versus a nightmare on elm street original okay all right um so this is a freddy versus jason kind of matchup Ugh. Oh, that, uh, <laughs> sorry and and the kagan wrote that i'm not me and then uh friday <laughs> <laughs> i gotta blame it on him I'm just kidding. Friday the 13th part four versus Friday the 13th. Oh, and man, he, that's tough. I mean, for me, it's, it's again, it. it's an easy choice, but that, you know, part four is going to be very, that's some stiff competition. I get it. Yeah. I oh, you. man. I, you know what? These elections just keep breaking my heart, Jay. I, <laughs> I don't know if I can vote again. Well, he says. Can my heart stand another vote? I know, right? Well, uh, Kagan's. <laughs> he says these big political families. Seems like there's always a Voorhees and a Kruger on the ballot every year. <laughs> and, and I totally agree. Um, man, that's funny. Okay. So that's that. And then, Josh, the only other thing that we wanted to tell the listeners before we give our plugs is that we have decided we we've gotten all the wonderful donations and merchandise that we're giving away for prizes we have all that ready and we're not announcing it on this show because we have one more slasher episode right i mean we should be able to get through 86 87 and i mean yeah. do you think we can get through 86 through 89 next time there, there are some good movies i i think you know we may be overstating how dry those years are but i think just in the interest of talking about some different movies you know we've been covering slashers for a while we can come back to some of the individual films i think we need to go on a little bit quicker speed next week and just make sure we finish yes uh, they the slashers and you know what i actually even if our east coast fellows have to bow out i will commit to staying on this phone call as long as it takes to finish 1989 okay because <laughs> yeah. i think it needs to be done i think we need to get through I agree because I'm excited. I mean, I am, as you know, the Frankensteinian episodes are my favorites, and I'm ready to lose my mind with all these themed episodes, which I like themed episodes, but I love having the total freedom just to watch whatever horror flicks are hitting me 
instead of having homework. I'm just, I'm just a rebel, I guess. So, anyways, because yeah, it's not it, you've got like two full years of movies to pick from, and you're still having a hard time with them. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, maybe I don't feel like watching a slasher right now. Maybe I want to watch a beastly freak film. But, um, I mean, maybe it's like watching a paranormal found footage movie. No. Yeah. Not paranormal, no. I, <laughs> but anyways, yes. So anyways, um, Wolfman Josh, yes. we're going to give prizes out next time for reels, everybody. I know you guys are So like, many, guys. There's extras. So we've got the different contests going on. I've actually lost track of what all those are. We've got our um, Dead Serious Horror Challenge. We have not had that many entries but the ones we have are awesome and I just want to keep doing this forever. We mentioned this already. So I think a prize goes to everyone who's turned them in so far. They're so good. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we can still pick a winner as well, but man, we've got some awesome ones. I want to share those with our listeners. I also just have some extra prizes. I didn't anticipate Um, Matroid and station from the sci-fi podcast donated some awesome horror items for us to give away on the show. (laughs) And I just want to do some random drawings I'm going to do one random drawing from the people who follow us on Facebook, although no, there's not much going on on Facebook, to be honest. A random drawing from those who follow us on Twitter, a random drawing from those who follow us on Instagram, a random drawing for those who have written uh, reviews for us on iTunes. And there's a lot of prizes to give out. And I think that will be really cool to do. Yes. Yes. So I'm excited about that. That'll be the next episode. And also in the next episode, slasher films 1986 to 1989 and we'll wrap we've it also up. had some listener questions coming in and i've been kind of like stockpiling those for the last episode maybe foolishly um there, there aren't too many i think we've only have three or four actually that uh, but I, I did put a little call out on social media if people had questions they could send them to us and we've got questions like what's your favorite slasher kill and uh what's your favorite modern slasher you know Mm -hmm. and things like that so we'll we'll answer those listener questions if anybody else has some for us send those to us either the the email to jay or social media somewhere we'll find it and i'll I'll track those all down and archive those so we can ask those on the show Mm -hmm. very cool that's excellent all right wolfman josh where can people catch up with you on the internet I am on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Icarus Arts. I also have a podcast called Movie Streamcast where we review movies that are currently streaming online. Uh, I've got a fun one this week from a guy who is is doing a documentary series on um, government surveillance. And we reviewed the documentary Citizen Four about Edward Snowden. And that's got a bit of a horror tinge to it. And that's yes, yes, it real does. life horror. It does. So that's been that's been fun. That's going to go up this week. Uh, that will be out by the time you hear this podcast. Some other fun episodes coming up over there on Movie Streamcast. You can also follow that on Twitter at Movie Streamcast. Um, I'd also just recommend checking out the uh, horror movie podcast Twitter and Instagram feeds. There's a lot going on over there. Jay, I don't know if you saw. Um, you know, our average retweet or our likes on a posts range anywhere from like one or two to 35 we got 35 likes on our bram stoker birthday post Mm -hmm. so that you know that's kind of our general range there maybe 12 is average um we got a nice retweet this last week from guillermo del toro (laughs) 
And I got to say, it, it performed a little bit better than our average tweets. <laughs> you, you're uh, kidding. When, when Guillermo del Toro retweets you, let's see. Let me see if I can see exactly how many we got here. This fella, this Guillermo del Toro fella, 191 retweets, 377 <laughs> likes. Yes. So thank you to Guillermo del Toro. You're welcome to retweet any of our tweets in the future. We I appreciate can. that. Tom Savini also liked our Slasher Madness tweets um, <laughs> this last couple weeks, so he's he must be following along and voting. No wonder there's so many Friday the 13th movies in the mix. Yeah, cool. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. Anti-Halloween bias there, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, definitely get in touch on social media. We're, we're keeping it live. The Facebook page needs needs a little life. I will say, but but um, but Twitter and Instagram are going strong, yes. and you can always email Jay or send us voicemails. We would love to get that stuff from you guys. That's true, and I just want to put one more plug, especially to you, Joshua. Knowing you as I do, you've got to find a way to start watching Westworld. Not horror, guys, but still just masterpiece kind of I mean incredible okay. just I, I know everybody raves about it so I don't want to do overkill but I'm just saying check it out and um, you know check out movie podcast weekly if you like new movies that are in theaters I'm getting really pumped because my favorite episode of the entire year is coming up on on that that podcast and this one where we do an end of the year top 10 best movies of 2016 nice. and so that's coming up pretty soon so you know we sure. mentioned channel zero a couple weeks ago that's on the sci-fi podcast and since then i've had a lot of listeners tell me that they're really enjoying channel zero channel um, zero yeah series on sci-fi so yeah and there's um there's actually another series that i'm going to talk about here on our frankensteinian episode which i believe is like episode after next so after we're doing the the nice. final slashers one I'm gonna, I'm gonna be catching up with that because got a lot of recommendations for that. So, anyways, check out moviepodcastweekly.com. We'd love to have you over there. We do love your comments, and we encourage you to get involved in this horror movie podcast community. Uh, what Greg Amortis was saying was exactly right. We've got a lot of just, um, tremendous people involved in this community, and I really appreciate it. And maybe we'll get Dr. Shock to run for president in uh, 2020 if we keep having our numbers growing <laughs> you guys could vote for Dave Becker that might be interesting <laughs> so anyway I'm just messing around um, you can leave a comment in the show notes though if you want to talk to us or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789 you can find all of our past episodes of this podcast as well as the archives for the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis proud of all those shows and that's at our website horrormoviepodcast.com you can subscribe free and itunes you can leave us a review there if you please if you haven't already and you can follow us on twitter at horror movie cast i'd like to thank fred ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song and I want to thank our friend Kagan Breitenbach because he has helped enhance that theme at the beginning. And I'm going to be playing his extended version of that at the end of this show again because we love it so much. And you can check out 
Kagan. I'll have his links in the show notes as well as Frederick Ingram's links. And I think that's it for episode 103. We do thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror.